gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 97, good gosh, of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I am your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. And we're both excited. Very excited. Well, one of us is more excited than the other. The truth. (laughs) And I think for legitimate and very good reasons, <laughs> one of us has been playing the Battle Tome that we're going to review for three, three about three, like years. three full years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. So this is a, you know, the last time you got any rules was a Broken Realms book, Broken mm-hmm. Realms Bellacore. And that, yeah. was, that was, was, was a little bit ago. It was a good change. Reikonor, well, most people use Reikonor's Condemned, who mm-hmm. played Nighthaunt, and it was a very uh, useful tool. But now we're going to review the new Nighthaunt book and just rock and roll, man. It's just so exciting. So much great stuff in here. And I think you'd have to be hard pressed to find a Nighthaunt player that or wouldn't agree that it was a book that we needed. Sure. Really was. And I would say, you know, previewing what we're going to talk about, this is a sizable upgrade from where you are. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of the War Scrolls have changed where they do some slightly different things. That yep. doesn't make them worse. It just makes them different. Yes. But writ large, I think you're looking at a major improvement for this faction. Absolutely. So we're going to do Night Haunt this episode. And just a quick reminder about timestamps. And yes, we're doing it at the beginning of the show. Instead of the ends, as I've <laughs> constantly wondered about. Especially because we're going to be dividing the Emperor Lies portion where we do the Battle Tome review into at least two, possibly three sections. Just because of the length of the discussion, I think we're going to, we're anticipating having. Just check them. Make sure that you're looking at what you want to look at and seeing what you want to see. And, and we'll go from there. So I think we're all ready to go. Yeah, rock and roll it, man. Let's roll these eight plus charges. Yeah, let's do that. All right, we're going to move right on to Whispers from the Warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. So, Brendan, we haven't been back from Vault Wars that long. Have you really worked on anything? Or? Actually, yeah. I don't have a, a big project in front of me right now, which is actually my favorite place to be from a hobby mm. perspective. Sure. So basically, since January, I've been locked into one project or another, obviously with the Adepticon teams. Mm-hmm. So I spent quite a few months working on that. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as that ended, I started working on my Sylvaneth. And now I'm kind of wide open to work on whatever. Great. Obviously, we'll talk about it next episode with Vault Wars, but my game four, I played a Legions of the First Prince player, and I left that game so inspired. I, so I was working on that right before I had to start working on the Adepticon teams, and so I picked that up, and I've been working on that quite a bit. I've also been working on, just as paint's been drying on him, you know, gluing together some of my Mega Gargants. You know, that's an army oh, yeah. I started a little bit ago, but... You know, they got quite good, and I don't know, I I didn't find it particularly compelling. So now they're getting put together. And I've been working on painting some of my Cruel Boys, which I was working on, you know, obviously at the start of 3.0. Got a little frustrated with them, set them to the side, you know, played Archeon for a little bit there, and then, you know, 
all of this other stuff. Yeah, because so, you've been working on them for quite a while. Just actually quite a bit of hobby. More than we're used to out of me for the last little bit here. That's but good, man. Yeah, just kind of chipping away. Uh, you've been obviously working on, you know, Daughters of Cain here recently. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> One of the great things about having played A Night Haunt Army for so long is I pretty much have everything I need. I mean, I have all the characters built and painted. I mean, you've even had the units that weren't even quite good in the last book. You had them just as choices and things to paint and Mm -hmm. put you a bit of a step ahead of me where there are definitely some units that I will need to go out and make some purchases. Yep. I mean, the only thing I did buy, so my hobby side of this is that I've built in prime 20 blade guys and 20 reapers and then three more spirit hosts, which are always fun Mm -hmm. for building. I also have a set of four Mirmorn Banshees, which we'll talk about, that I've always had like ready to paint. They've kind of got a primer and some uh, wash on them, but now I can just jump in and get them done pretty quickly. And otherwise, there isn't a whole lot except for Ulrich, the new guy, that I don't have, which is really fun because I went into you know one of my battle phone boxes and looked at my Nighthorn army sitting on the shelves and going, wow, I've got a lot of stuff already and this is great that I don't have to do that work to start playing the army right away. And having stuff at least built is really helpful too, because then I have all the options now, Mm -hmm. which as you said, you know, I've had a lot of stuff that I never really used, but it's it's very All you're missing is the new characters and some crossbows. As we talk through the book, there may be some stuff that I just don't use. Mm -hmm. There's so many great options. Again, prefacing, you know, what we'll talk about, I think similar to basically every 3.0 book we've talked about so far, I don't think there's a bad war scroll in the book. Some shine a little bit brighter than others, but I think you'll be well warranted in taking any unit you want. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's been what I've been doing, and I think I've got enough stuff primed that I'm going to start painting now and getting more bodies on the shelves. In terms of new stuff then, Night Haunt and Daughter's Books and Gear are all out there now. Uh, Ulrich is there. The Cross Nose, as I'm going to call them. Cross (laughs) The Ethereal Court, which is a really neat combination where you've got the Torment and the Guardian and the Chain Geist, I think. Basically all the stuff that was out of the yeah. second edition starter set yep. repackaged to, and to they're be saleable all as a group. Really good choices now. So and then the Fire Slayers and the Deep Kim both got boxes, mm-hmm. which is cool. Magma Dross, there's the choices of those. Those are all laying out there as well. In terms of pre-orders, we've seen the Echoes of Doom, which is the Sylvanus Skaven box, which is cool. There are a couple of Warcry Warbands and then two, I think, terrain boxes that have come out, yep. which is really, really cool. And my question for you on this, before we start talking about heresy a little bit, Mm. is what are your thoughts on timing for like the Sylvanus Skaven and GHB? I mean, this all summer stuff, we got the heresy, which is going to come out. That's going to take up some time. What are you thinking? Yeah, I think June is going to be dominated by the heresy stuff. Okay. So they're going through those faction previews, you know, the different legions. I think right when you get to the end of that, it's going to go up for pre-order. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be heresy, 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 and then start of July handbook. And in that time frame, I think you'll get the Sylvaneth and Skaven battle tomes as well. Okay, so that's all like July, August time mm-hmm. frame. Okay. And fits the timing that we've seen so far this year. You get the dual boxes that come out, mm-hmm. and then you know, month and a half, two months later, the battle tomes hit the deck and. 
you know, you go from there and it cycles through at a pretty consistent pace. I think the thing that we're going to see here throughout the remainder of the year is not just for Age of Sigmar or Heresy or 40k individually, but collectively as the Games Workshop sales piece is you are going to see massive pre-orders and things Mm. in very quick succession. Just kind of looking at what we've seen and in the way we've seen it, I think their plan is going to be to just clear through the backlog that Mm. quite a bit of what COVID supply chain issues have hit us with. Sure. And so that they can start 2023 at the cadence, you know, that they'd like to be at. I'd say buckle up, like this could be quite the roller coaster of purchases. (laughs) Yeah, just the next few months, just over the summer. Yeah. And into fall. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at, you know, if you're someone like Dan and I who buys every book, you know, maybe for your own podcast or not, <laughs> you know, you're already looking at $350 or so of Battletone purchases between yep. here and the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So there are going to be models that come along with that as well. And that's just yeah. one game system. If you think that heresy is going to stop just at the release point. Oh, no. I think you're sorely mistaken. And then there's also this other game that we rarely talk about that I think is going to fit a very similar pace. Sure. Yeah. So So thanks for that. I I just wanted to get your thoughts on... How's that long answer to a very short question? It was excellent. Actually (laughs) filled a lot of blanks in. And then finally, not pre-ordered or anything yet, but we have seen so much heresy stuff showed off. I mean, we saw the book. We've seen it with the rule book, which is great. Looks really good. Again, one of those... Anybody knows anything in terms of past heresy, they would put out these huge coffee table books literally for almost every legion, or they put two legions in one book, mm-hmm. but it was just these massive, amazing pieces and of they were work. gorgeous, yeah. Yeah, and so the book for this game is going to be that kind of size. I think somebody said it's over 300 pages. Yeah, the core rules, uh, classic, right. classic old school rule book. <laughs> With all of the heresy knowledge you could ever want contained within, and then there's going to be a box set. Then there's going to be two separate books for the Loyalists and the Heretics, Mm -hmm. which I find interesting because that's different than they did before where they only had one or two in a book. And I think that's great where depending on which side you pick, you can buy one of those books and then stay with that side and you've got everything you need to run your legions. Legion specific rules. Then we know that we don't know for sure. We know that there's still stuff left over. And I was looking at this, that we've still got Titan Legions, Mechanicus, Custodes, Imperial Army. We've got all that stuff outside of the Space Marines. And my guess is that they are going to have a book just for those things, just like they do for the Legions. They said at first it's going to be kind of like a supplemental piece of information. Okay. And that people are going to be able to participate in it mm-hmm. with their non-Space Marine yep. armies. Which is good. That's good they're doing that. And then we've seen, you know, a 20-man squad, uh, which... You know, it was pretty typical. And then the way that the weapons have come out, Brendan. We oh, talked about so this. exciting. Oh, my gosh. And it's just what you need. It's what we've always wanted with heresy is where you have these boxes with 10 of every kind of weapon, special weapons, heavy weapons, whatever it is. But 10 apiece? I mean, that's a really good deal in terms not only of money and being able to build your squads, but just in terms of building your army. That's so, so helpful. Yeah, because they previewed it as, you know, like, one of the boxes is plasma guns and melted guns. You get 10 of each in that box. Yeah. Your special weapon squads are fully kitted out with the same weapon. That's the way heresy works. From an affordability standpoint, you know, maybe your army is built around plasma. 
and you know your friend is playing and you know they much prefer you know melter for whatever reason then you split that box yeah. or each of you buys one and you trade i mean so it's fantastic good. like it'll require a little bit of logistics between you know your friends or you know you've you've purchased all of this and then you can magnetize your guys no, to sure. to swap them out which i suppose yeah. will take some work but well it'll be easier because they're going to be plastic Yep. Instead of resin. So that's always easier job. But yeah, all that stuff coming around. Lots and lots of things floating around. And it's it's really, really cool to see. Moving on to games played. I did a little bit, again, with the usual Civ stuff that I do. And then that Steve Jackson sorcery I talked about last time. But I have purchased Chaos Gate, Demon Hunters. Which is a follow-on to a very ancient game called Chaos Gate. Which was... Marines versus Chaos. Okay. It was very pixelated and, you know, that kind of thing. It's very much an XCOM type of a mechanic where it's turn-based. So you move all your guys, your enemy moves all their guys. I've played three scenarios so far. And it's been really, really good. The uh, graphics are really good. The sound effects are really cool. You know, something Nurgle blows up and it's like liquidy and mucky. Mm, and Great. Very cool stuff. The cinematic quality is definitely not StarCraft level. But it's okay. It's definitely good. And then the storytelling and the voice acting is excellent too. So if you're interested at all, this is, again, Demon Hunter. So you're playing Grey Knights. And the bad guys are Nurgle, you find out very early. Give it a try and see what you think. You know, play a scenario too. I'm taking my time with this because my understanding is there's like over 40 or 50 missions you can Oh, wow. Play. What the heck? I it's have It's going to take you some time. And... On an average, it's like 45 minutes to an hour to get through one of them. That's been kind of fun. And again, I've only played two or three of those. But that's been my other stuff besides Sigmar. How about you? Have you gotten time for anything, really? No. We got back home from sure. Vault Wars. And, you know, I had quite a bit of painting still, you know, leading up to Vault Wars. And really, it's just been hobbying and, you know, catching up on podcasts and mm. watching Netflix and yeah, for sure. all that fun stuff. Cool. No games for me. All right. And then games played, well... We're going to talk about that, I think, next episode. Yeah, Warren's a whole show. Yeah, Vault Wars was amazing. We had such a good time, I think, everybody would say. It was really worth the drive and great, great experience. So we'll talk about that two-day event next episode. Events, you've got ATC relatively soon. I mean, another, what, eight weeks? Yeah, just about July 16th through 17th. Yep, so a couple months, a little less. Yeah, rules cut off in one month. It's off to planning. I'm the death player, so... It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, Got a couple of choices to make. Yeah, yeah, you do, for Mm. sure. A little sad news about Midwest Meltdown. Mm. Uh, We know it's been canceled. The thing that really is important is that it was... And Domus has been very public with this, that it's been um, kind of serious health issues for himself and I believe a family member as well. So we're going to keep them in our prayers and hope that everything works out for them. That's the most important thing and takeaway here. And I didn't even know until I got a, I saw a refund mm-hmm. email and I'm like, what am I getting a refund for? And then I looked and it's like, you've oh. Been, you've been banned from the event. It's <laughs> kind of at first, I'm like, what did I do to make somebody angry? So anyway. We're a very controversial <laughs> yeah, sure. podcast. We said something. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't issue enough apologies. <laughs> NashCon and Siege World, you know, August coming up. Mm-hmm. 
really good news for fall, for me anyway, and I think for a lot of people, but RockCon is now moved to early November. So there is a chance that I will be going to Dragonfall and RockCon now, which would be really cool. If I could make it to both, I would really, really enjoy that. And then, is it Holy Havoc is mm-hmm. around that time? Holy Havoc is the same weekend as Dragonfall this year. Okay, so we'll get to both. Hopefully we've got your marquee event sometime in the fall, which would be another yep. one to yep. plan for. I'm in discussions with the hotel for November timeframe. Okay, perfect. Uh, with the number of weddings I had to go to September. Yeah, oh, that's out. September probably yeah, wasn't going to work. Just continue we'll, we'll to be a moving target. try not to make it the first weekend of November is all I'm asking. No, Please. that's... <laughs> okay, just try that. And we got Thanksgiving in there too. I guess mm-hmm. you got to work around, so... Got a couple of targets that make this a little difficult. All right. Anything else for main events? I don't think so. Nothing else coming up. No, I don't Nothing think else. so. The thing that will I think is going to happen is a lot of local Midwest clubs are going to be putting on Midwest Meltdown stand-in events. So, yes. you know, keep an eye on your local communities and gaming stores to see if they're putting on anything or come down to Chattanooga and, you know, play in the American team championships sure. and, and do that. Sure. Yeah. Make the drive again. That's cool. Get on a plane, make the drive. Whoosh. You know, Chattanooga's lovely. Go for it. What's funny is it's actually being hosted at the exact same venue that my last gymnastics nationals was at. No way. Yeah. All those years ago. Wow. Yeah. So... So I'm going to ask, are you going to be the same team this year as you were last year? Not quite the same team. We had an individual who wasn't going to be able to make it for kind of travel reasons. Mm -hmm. And we have another individual who won't be on the team for, we'll call it medical reasons. Sure. So we've picked up two new players, but half of the team is going to remain the same as it was before in terms of player base. And cool. Our other two players this year, John Anderson, who's very excited to you know be in a team's events. I know he's very interested in making the American AOS Worlds teams, and oh, wow. you know hopefully we can use this as an opportunity for him to to showcase his talents. And then uh, Mergonk, who is yeah. playing out of St. Louis, he's one of the best order players in the country right now, and we're very excited to have both of them on the team very cool. this year. So. Excellent stuff. Uh, you know, looking to repeat from prior years. Obviously, the last time it was hosted, <laughs> we've got some prep to do. Exciting for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to hear the story as we get closer and get more details of armies and all those kind of things. So that's very cool. That'll be under wraps until lists are reviewed. So, yeah, yep. still a little while, but mm-hmm. that's all right. We have plenty of other stuff to talk about. All right, that's it then for Whispers. And here we go, man. <laughs> the battle tome you've been waiting for for quite a little bit. Yeah. All right, we'll be right back with Emperor Lies and Night Haunt. Man, what are we, a team? No, 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 we're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. So we are back, and we are going to be talking about the Night Haunt battle tome. And we want to make a few introductory comments. First of all, very cool. We opened our books yesterday, Brendan, and in the back behind a little like cover piece of paper, there was a set of tokens and they are all for Wave of Terror, which mm-hmm. we're going to talk about, which is very cool that they gave us a separate set and of they tokens. They gave us so that. many. Oh, there's a bazillion of them. And we got a cool, you know, Nighthaunt ruler in there, the nine inch ruler, yeah, whatever. Which is whatever, yeah. But having those tokens, very, very helpful. And that was a really cool thing. In terms of points for this army, Yes, the points have gone up, as you would expect, given the change in the quality and the rules that you have inherited. Inherited 
for an example, I give, and we'll talk about this in more detail to put it in context later, but the fact that chain RAS went up about 20 points, you know, for a unit of 10. Well, they went up because number one, they all have retreat and charge now. That's a pretty powerful ability. It's huge. They all have a six up ward no matter where they are on the board. They don't have to be babysat anymore. And just those two things alone are worth a lot. And so, yes, the army went up in total some significantly, but that's what you get. In this game, you pay for abilities and... Uh, well, you should always be paying for yeah, your rules. as you should. When something is priced too cheaply, it becomes too efficient. You're not paying the commensurate number of points for what you're getting on the table then. And you're seeing overperformance as opposed to your ideal state where everything has some level of balance and then the ultimate expression of result of the book is uh, player skill in matchups and missions. Sure, which is good, which is what you want. Just to comment about that, and then stats. What we want to do for unit stats is just kind of give you the baseline stats for everything rather than having to repeat it every time we go over a separate unit war scroll. And we will note changes if there's any unique things but basically this entire army flies number one number two it has an eight inch movement which is so good even the leaders now have an eight inch movement at a minimum yeah and we've got 10 bravery except we'll talk about the exception yeah this single exception (laughs) and they all have a four up non-rendable ethereal save uh, except for one unit except for the one (laughs) (laughs) which we'll talk about again but that's it then so 10 bravery four ethereal eight inch move we'll talk about exceptions as we go through individual units but that's it i think any other introductory thoughts uh, on the book brendan as we go through major 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 improvement this is going to go from an army that you see in a relatively niche setting Obviously, with you know recent bias kind of gone, in Tom winning Vault Wars, going five and zero with Ghosts, mm-hmm. and then Rania, who is I believe playing out of Norway, okay, who at time of speaking is ten and zero at Worlds between singles and teams combined. Whoa and has been an excellent night haunt player for quite a long time. You have you have these kind of individual high-skilled players who are taking excellent results with the army. This is going to move from an army where it requires high skill to achieve high levels of, of success to being an army that forces some very difficult questions to some of your major predators that are out in the game currently. Okay. So, And just to clarify, Tom did use... All he had was everything that was available at the time. Okay. So that is the... That was the la- the 2018 edition book, mm-hmm. Broken Realms Bellacor. And then whatever war scrolls were available in In the box. In the box. Okay, that's it. All right. Just wanted to clarify that so people weren't thinking he was playing with all the new rules. No, no, no. The weird kind of Night Haunt 1.4 setting. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, let's move on to Allegiance abilities then. These, Brendan, you have stated in the last few weeks are some of the best in the game now. This is probably. As far as a single page of rules goes, an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, (laughs) probably top five all-time Age of Sigmar page of rules across Mm -hmm. all editions everywhere. If you were to play this book without, or even just with the older version of this rules, I think we'd be talking about kind of some of the similar problems that the book would have. But it being moved to here in the battle trait, a lot of the rules and mechanics that they're concerned with mm-hmm. uh, make them excellent. You've seen improvements in basically every phase of what they do. Mm-hmm. And I mean, let's, let's just jump right into it then. 
There are four sub-factions. Sure. Cool. We'll talk about those in just a little bit. Yep. You have the Aura of Dread, Whoa, which God. is where before you were handing out minus one bravery. This is kind of the equivalent here. Enemy units are terrified while they are within three inches of any friendly night haunt units. While well, a unit is terrified, it cannot issue or receive the Inspiring Presence command ability. Uh, this ability has no effect on night haunt units. Jeez, I cannot tell you how many times in this at Vault Wars, you know, we played those five games, that somebody used Inspiring Presence to save a unit that was definitely going to be running off the board. Mm. And boy, it would have been so cool to have <laughs> been able to make a bunch of Reavers or a bunch of Thralls or somebody run uh, when they lost four or five models. Yeah, you know? it's oh, big. Huge. Yeah. It's just amazing. <laughs> now, Ethereal is still a rule, but Ethereal has new stuff now. It still is ignoring modifiers, positive or negative, to save rolls mm-hmm. for attacks to target night haunt units. However, every unit in the book now gets a six-up ward, Mm -hmm. no matter where they are. So no more babysitting for a lot of the units. They don't have to have a hero close. And another huge addition is that every Night Haunt unit can retreat and still charge in the same turn. Wow. So one of the things that I think is really interesting... And it's not going to be a huge deal, Mm -hmm. is that Ethereal is moved to a battle trait. So if you ally in Night Haunt units, they're not Ethereal. Yeah. That they are... Which is so bizarre, actually. (laughs) It's, It's a little unusual. So if you were thinking about allying in some ghost units for some reason, they're not really ghosts anymore. They go from being semi-solid to very solid. (laughs) An army gaining retreat and charge wholesale across the board is pretty sizable, especially since you see a lot of the bonuses in the army are going to come from charge rolls or or having charged. I found that really interesting that you look at that and you see what is the special rule for this unit. All of them are tied into this, which is what it should be. It's fair. Yeah, this is going to be a nightmare, though, for slower players, you know, moving potentially 100 plus models every turn. Yeah. You know, that's going to be an issue. You're going to be touching each model potentially three times in each of your player turns, Mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to be a challenge for sure. Next up is Discorporate. Can use this command ability when a friendly night haunt unit is picked as the target of an attack in the shooting or combat phase. That unit must receive the command. That unit has a ward of a 5-up instead of a 6-up until the end of that phase. This is a great alternative to not being able to use all-out defense. You know, very glad that they get something, that they can increase their defensive bonuses, right? You know, it's still a command that has to be issued. You can, only one unit can still get it. So I think it's excellent balance. Yeah, and it's shooting or, you actually could do it in two phases. You Mm -hmm. can do it shooting and in combat phase. Right, it's your version of all-out defense. Right, which is really, really good. Now, this next one is just... So great. A wave of terror. You know, we talked about this when we wishlisted, you know, Night Haunt. And I can honestly say this is probably one of the most elegant solutions to the wave of terror question and problem that we've mentioned before <laughs> and that Night Haunt players have had. Just such a great way to make this meaningful for a Night Haunt army. So after a friendly Night Haunt unit finishes a charge move, you can look up the unmodified charge roll for the charging unit on the wave of terror table below. Pick one enemy unit within one inch of that Night Haunt unit and then apply the relevant an effect from the table to that enemy unit. If you prefer, you can pick the effect up for a lower unmodified charge roll. For example, if you rolled an eight, you could choose to apply shriek instead of stun. We'll talk about that in a second. The table goes from four to 10 plus based on your charge roll. So if you roll a two or a three, you don't get this effect. However, remember you can re-roll charge rolls. Yep. You could do that. So the chances of you getting one of these off is 
pretty high. Yeah, you're almost always going to be getting something. <laughs> right. And the first one is Shriek. If you roll a four through seven, you subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made by that unit in the following combat phase. Eight or nine is Stun. Subtract one from Save rolls for attacks that target that unit in the following combat phase, which is going into effect produce some rend. Or a Ren-like effect yeah. when you're doing that, which is great. And then 10 or more, which is what we only got before, that is Strike Last. So it's called Petrify, which is, wow, that's really, really good. Against so many armies that have that Strike First, either in a certain turn or they have an ability, whatever it is. Now, if you're charging in, things go in normal order correct, so you'll still get to go first if but, they go last. So Strike First and Strike Last have some offsetting tendencies. Yep. But more importantly, it's about whatever rule applied most recently. That's quite good. The thing that's really important here is in the, de- in the designer's note, an enemy unit can be affected multiple times by wave of terror effects. <laughs> Stack these. As long as each effect is applied by an unmodified charge roll for a different charging Nighthaunt unit. Wow. So, oh my gosh. You know, several things is you can apply all three effects to one unit. Mm-hmm. You can apply the same effect multiple times to that unit. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> yes. And again, it mentioned earlier, you can choose to take... if you, So for, if you already got a subtract one from save rolls and you roll again and you get another eight or nine, you don't have to take that. You can then take the minus one from hit rolls if mm-hmm. you want to and add that in there. Yeah, so. stacking minus ones isn't a bad thing. It makes all-out attack not a viable command point spend. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you cap out at minus one, but... There's always value that can be applied to having a better save. There's not always value applied because you're capped at plus one or minus one in the hit rolls. Mm -hmm. But you'll also find that there's quite a bit of rend in this book. A lot more than there used to be, that's for sure. So there are some choices that are going to have to be made by your opponents. And the fact that you can retreat and charge means that you're going to be referencing this table quite a bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just often enough, I think. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's talk about Frightful Touch because it's, again, an army-wide thing. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made by a friendly Nighthaunt unit is six, that attack wounds the target automatically. Do not make a wound roll. So these are auto wounds on a Mm -hmm. six. What this kind of replaces is that a few units in the army had, if you roll a six, you get a mortal wound. Yep. Okay. I don't know about you, Brendan, but there is no comparison to me where you have a few units that get mortals on a six or your entire army gets auto wounds on a six, especially considering weight of dice and number of attacks. It's pretty good. That's much more valuable, I think, if we have to make... You're reducing variation uh, by skipping a whole dice roll phase. Mm. Uh, So you ignore any potential negative modifiers or any variance whatsoever in a set of dice rolls. You've already bypassed that, and you're carrying through more dice than you would have. So you're ignoring minus one to hit, minus one to wound. You're ignoring that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, which is really, yeah, that is great. Okay, so that's Frightful Touch. And then last up is Vanishing Phantasms. So this is the replacement for putting things off board. You no longer really do that. Instead, at the end of deployment, before determining control of objectives, you can remove up to three friendly Nighthaunt units from the battlefield and place them to one side to be set up in ambush as reserve units. At the end of your movement phase, you can set up one or more of the reserve units in ambush on the battlefield more than nine inches from all enemy units. Okay. Cool. Yeah. It allows you to you know, maybe do some baiting with your opponent in the, sure. in the deployment phase of the game. Maybe... Get them to position off of where they'd like to be, and then you can execute on the plan you are looking to execute on from the very beginning. All these things together make for... If the War Scrolls weren't any different, this would be 
Oh. Quite an interesting army. Yeah. Using this as the framework, you're going to see quite a bit of value from a lot more units than you would before. Okay, we're on to heroes. <laughs> and we're going to talk very briefly about Nagash, because he's here in the book. Having played him for a whole weekend at Vault Wars, I'm just sorry to say that for 955 points, I find it really, really difficult with everything else that's in this book now. And what I could spend 955 points on, Brendan, I cannot justify taking it's the gash. Tough. You know, he's got some really fun stuff. I mean, honestly, I got handed dust off three times in five games and it was a lot of fun and it made a, a difference in a couple of games. But overall, he is still pretty squishy, really, in this current meta. Uh, it's pretty easy to get rid of him uh, in terms of either combat or, you know, sh his vulnerability to shooting. And the other thing that was very frustrating with him, you know, it is a dice game. And I said this to one of my opponents, but when one game, my first out of eight spell rolls, I miscast and lost seven spells. The next game on my second roll, I miscast that I lost six spells. It's 13 spells I lost in two games. There's got to be something for a god model that he can, you know, ignore it once per game or something. You know, make that kind of a change to make it more effective. Because honestly, based on that experiences I had, I wouldn't take him again because I don't want to take that chance. Mm -hmm. It was game changing. Both of those uh, miscasts. So just a tough thing. He's still a great model. You know, I, I know you used him forever. Uh, I really enjoyed painting him up, and I got a lot of, you know, really good compliments. Those yeah. are my thoughts on Nagash. It, it's a tough justification. He doesn't do the thing that Kragnos does, where really Nagash doesn't do anything that any of the other characters that kind of fill this role do. Mm. You either need to elevate the army with your points that you spend, where you are a huge force multiplier, or you need to be kind of a 950 scary, you know, beat stick that you're going to mm -hmm. roll around the board and take a lot of models off. And Nagash really doesn't do either of those things. You're not getting the army elevation, you know, that you even see from Kragnos. And Kragnos is like one bit of army elevation is you get to do 3d6 charging when, <laughs> when you're within a range of him. Like, yeah, you do a lot of cool healing. You do a lot of cool spell casting. That's all well and good. But you're not able to be thrown into the army and do damage. It's just disappointing. Popping over to Nighthaunt yeah. proper. Here we go. Let's talk about Lady Olinder, Dan. This is a model that you were trying to use for a period of time, but I think now creates a very compelling decision piece yep. for Nighthaunt players. In terms of profile, she has the profile standard we talked about, except she has seven wounds. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> she is a hero. She is a wizard. She can attempt two spells, and she can unbind two spells. She is a war master, so even if she is not the general, she is treated as a general. She has her little handmaidens for her six attacks, which, again, don't do mortals now, but they would they auto, auto wound, wound on sixes. Yep. yep, which is great. We have Grave Sands of Time, which is very different in a great way. This unit has a ward of four up. Thank you so much for making this change and making her so much more survivable just with that. And then we have something else later that's going to make her even more durable. Uh, we have No Rest for the Wicked. Uh, once per battle at the start of your hero phase, if this unit is on the battlefield, you can return up to D6 slain models to each friendly night haunt summonable unit on the battlefield. 
Excellent. Get back my blade guys and my real reapers and my heritons and spirit hosts. If she's got a retinue of three of them, two are dead, she could get them all back. Mm-hmm. You know, great. Yeah, once per battle, but that's fine. More Tark of Grief. This is a command point mechanic here. Roll the dice each time an enemy unit issues a command within 12 inches of this unit. On a five up, that command is not received. It still counts as having been used and the command point is lost. The thing about this is it says an enemy unit issues a command. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be kind of tricky, though, with 12-inch range, because a lot of times the unit that issues the command will be further than 12 inches away. It's not the unit that receives the command. It's the unit that's issuing issuing it. And a lot of times you have somebody who's 18 inches away, 12 inches away. So I think this one is a lot more situational. It's certainly cool that your your opponent knows you can do that, and they're going to have to modify their spacing and their placement of their models, though, to avoid this kind of an issue. Yeah. So that's really, really cool. Lifting the veil is essentially the way it was before. At the start of your shooting phase, you can pick one enemy model or unit within 12 inches of this unit. On a two-up, that unit suffers the number of mortal wounds equal to the roll. Add one to the number of mortal wounds the target suffers if it is terrified. We talked about that rule. So yeah, if you got cool. night on within three, great. Any enemy models are slain by this ability. You can heal up the D3 wounds allocated to this unit. For each enemy model that was slain. So if you kill two models, it's 2D3 she could get back. If you get Seven, it's 73. Woo! <laughs> oh no, we can only take her back up to seven. Okay, mm-hmm. fair enough. And then she has her spell, which really hasn't changed. Her unique spell, which is grief stricken, casting value of seven, range of 18, which is very respectable range. If you cast it, pick one enemy unit within range, invisible or cast or subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made by that unit and add one to hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly night haunt units that target that unit. So, great. They're minus one to hit. You're plus one to hit for that unit. Great. She is now 340 points. She went up quite significantly. I think there are going to be people on both sides that don't think she's worth it, that that think she's worth it. I like her because she does a little bit of everything for your army now. And everything that she does is worthwhile. Let's talk about her combat profile. Yeah. She's got two different profiles. She's got the Staff of Midnight, which Mm -hmm. is a two-inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, Ren two, damage two. That's pretty impressive, you know, considering that this was one of your limited sources of rend before. Mm-hmm. And then your handmaidens with their spectral claws, one inch range, six attacks, fours by fours, rend one, damage one. Thinking about what that means for the army, pairing that with, you know, some eight to nine inch charges. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is going to be the prevailing theme is rolling eight to nines, even when you're three inches away, is what counts. Getting the save reduced, obviously, except against other Nighthaunt players, turns this into a blender army very quickly. And, you know, one of the things we're going to see is that a lot of the heroes in this army had D3 damage, and a lot of them had Ren 1. So now we're going to see consistently where our heroes have Ren 2 and they have fixed damage instead of just D3, which is significant to your point in terms of Using your heroes. Expected results. I mean, heroes can be a viable option now as we go through the book. But, you know, I've heard people talk about her, that she's not worth it. She is. I think she's worth taking. Obviously, as we play more and we get more games in and I include her, I just think she's a great all-around leader. She's incredibly durable. And by the way, taking Spirit Host, which we'll talk about, is mandatory here. I don't think you would not spend the extra points. I don't know why you wouldn't uh, with somebody this valuable and that can do these things. So, you know, you talked about her attack profile. She's also got a mortal wound machine that she can do. Yeah. Mortal wounds in addition. So she can pack a punch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's keyworded for the Grieving Legion, mm-hmm. uh, which is the sub-faction that is kind of your main one. And then you're going to find that all of the heroes are actually tied to. So. Yeah. 
Okay. Why don't you talk about Beatstick Kurtos now? Yeah, so Kurtos <laughs> is the same profile. He's seven wounds. He's got his scepter, which is two inch range, five attacks, threes uh. by threes. Ren 3, damage 3. It's insane, Brendan. <laughs> yeah. His companions have Spectral Claws, the exact same as Lady O. And then he has the old rule that he had before. If I cannot rule, none shall rule. At the start of each battle round, after the players have received their starting command points, you can roll a dice if this unit's on the battlefield. Add one to the roll if this unit's within six inches of an enemy hero, which now there's no reason not to be. No, gosh, no. On a five up, subtract one from your opponent's command points to a minimum of zero and add one to your command points. Okay. You know, keyworded grieving legions. From a points perspective, Kurdos comes in, you know, very affordably. He's 210 points. Yeah, 210 points. And he also unlocks cross booze as battle line. Sure. Doesn't have to be your general, just has to be part of the army. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have Warmaster, though, which I think is a little surprising given what he is, but. His attack profile now is certifiably scary. Yeah. I mean, if you get a little extra Ren, even with Ren 3, if you're going in on something that's got a 3-up save, they're going down to a 6-up save, mm-hmm. and you're doing 3 Each damage, swing. 5 swings. Yeah, this... And, and you can take that down. And by the way, the other common thing is here, most of the heroes are 3 by 3s to hit and wound. That is so easy in this army now to take down to a 2 by 2 mm-hmm. So... Most of the time, all five of those attacks are going to be getting through. That is a heck of a lot of damage from one little dude. Yeah. That's well worth considering, I think, to take. And I'm anxious to throw him down on the table and see what he does. Try, yeah. See what he does now. The next hero is one of the new ones. It's Ulrich the Drowner. So Bodie McBoatster, and he is a little bit different. He has seven wounds, but he's 10-inch move. And he is kind of the substitute for what the hero used to do in terms of pulling units. Three inch range, four attacks, three by threes. We talked about that. Minus two rend, D3 damage. But the it's first, respectable. Yeah, and let's talk about this one rule scything ram because it applies to this. After it makes the charge move, pick one enemy unit within one on a roll of two up. D3 mortals, so impact damage. But if any enemy models are slain, by those mortal wounds, you add D3 attacks to his profile. So he could have up to seven attacks. Yeah. Reasonable. Pretty good. He is 175 points, by the way. His command ability, Passage Through the Underworlds, you can use this at the start of your movement phase. If you do so, pick one friendly night haunt unit on the battlefield that is visible to him. This unit must receive the command. So he is a totem, so they have to be within 18 inches versus 12. No, no, no. Pick one friendly nut haunt unit on the battlefield that is visible to this unit. That's that it. unit must receive the command, though. Ah, okay. Right. Yep, that's you're that's right. a trick. Yep, yep, yeah. Because yep. I was thinking the same thing. I was, that you I was like, this is incredible. Pull them from anywhere. Yeah. It's a little bit more restricted, little, but only barely. Still very good. Mm-hmm. First, remove the unit from the battlefield. Set it up again on the battlefield more than nine inches from all enemy units. That's this unit. And then. Remove the other friendly unit that you're teleporting from the battlefield. Set it up wholly within 12 of Ulrich, more than 9 from enemy units. So that's exactly what your general could do, not Harrow. Everybody used him as their general. Because you could set him up where you needed to, and then the unit came to him. You could teleport. That was a allegiance ability, actually. Yeah, Yeah, battle trait. I think he's worthwhile considering, especially if you've got a unit that's engaged somewhere, but you want them somewhere else, or they've taken care of a unit. They're down to maybe one or two models they're gonna run now all of a sudden next turn you can pull that really strong unit over to where he is or somewhere else on the board and 
man, they can do some work over there if they're done in one part of the board. So that's really cool. Eminently affordable, super reasonable yeah. choice. Yeah, very much so. Then you've got Rykonor. The last of your named characters here, also Grieving Legion. Seven wounds, 14-inch move is the difference here. Wow, 14 is great. Yeah. I mean, he's on a flying horse. He better go fast. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. He's got the Fell Reaper, which is a two-inch range. Five attacks, threes by threes, rend two, damage two. Here we go again. Ghostly <laughs> Hooves and Teeth, one-inch range, three attacks, fours by fours, no rends. This is the first no rend profile we've seen so far. So It's horses. Yeah, pretty good start. He's a one-cast, one-unbind wizard. Mm-hmm. The corpse candle works the same as before, where in your hero phase, before you attempt to cast a spell, you can pick either this unit or an enemy unit within 12 inches. The unit you picked, if it's an enemy unit, suffers one mortal wound. And if you pick it and you suffer that one mortal wound, you add one to the casting roll if it's an enemy and three if it's you. Yep. Yep. Cool. Perfect. Excellent. You can add one to hit and wound rolls for attacks made with the unit's Fell Reaper if the target is a priest or a wizard. Okay. No, not bad. And then you've got Wraith Storm, casting value of a 7, range of 12 inches. Pick an enemy unit within range. Visible to caster, it suffers D3 mortal wounds. Any models in that unit are slain as a result of this spell. That unit immediately suffers an additional D3 mortal wounds. Yeah, now here, you're thinking, well, you have to use it on small units, but... What you could do is if somebody's down to you know, one or two wounds... On a multi-wound you right. know, model in multi... Throw it on there and then 2d3. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's really great stuff. He's 190 points. Still very affordable for what he does. Yeah. Very, very good. And having that plus three to cast, I am going to say, I forgot before this past weekend how valuable that was. But man, it was so good. And that just healed him up. Yeah, but he casts so many things on a plus three. And it He's was your most really, reliable caster. Yeah, really good um, stuff. You know, because that's the one thing that I think you'll kind of find in the book that if you want to level complaints at is the spells are hard to cast and you don't have any, you know, real strong casters except for, Ooh. you know, the first guy at the start of the book that we talked about being inordinately disappointing. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> now this next model is a new model. To the line. I'm glad you're talking about this one, Dan, because uh, I know you hate it. Yeah, I'm very disappointed by this. But what I'm going to say about the Scripter Mortis, like, let's do his profile and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he has six wounds. He has a pen that he can attack you a with. A very dangerous pen, <laughs> which <laughs> has rend, Yeah, wow. Three attacks, four by threes, minus one, one damage. He has the Flickers of Witchlight. He can, if there is a Night Hunt summonable unit within six, he can slough a wound off. Yep, once per phase. Yeah, nice. Okay. Sentence to Eternal Torment. This is kind of a long rule, but we're going to go through it because that is his thing. In your hero phase, you can say that this unit is going to record the name of a judged soul. If you do so, pick one enemy hero that does not have the death keyword and is visible to this unit to be the judged soul. At the start of each of your subsequent hero phases... So that is once per battle round. Mm-hmm. If the judge soul and this unit are on the battlefield, you must make a judgment roll. So you must make the roll for the yep. judge soul. And this unit cannot record the name of a different judge soul in that phase, which means that you could pick somebody different in another phase. Okay. In addition, if the battle would end and the judge soul and this unit are on the battlefield, then before the battle ends, you must make a judgment roll for the judged soul. Okay, here we go. To make a judgment roll, roll a dice. If the roll is less than the number of the current battle round, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> the judge soul suffers 2d6 mortal wounds. Oh, that's great. The same unit cannot be picked to be judge soul more than once in the same battle. Okay, this is so 
unreliable for 155 points. That's a lot of points. It's a lot of points. You can get a lot of other things in this book for 155 or close to 155 points. They're going to do so much more cumulative damage reliably than this guy is. It is just way too swingy, you know, and all of a sudden it's turn two and you roll that one or it's battle round two. You roll the one, you're like excited and you roll a three on your 2d6. You're like, oh, okay, that I am so glad I rolled that one. (laughs) It's just way, way too swingy. But somebody wants to take them. That's awesome. You know, if you feel that you love the model, you want to get it on the board, I encourage you to do that. I think where this thing would be really, really fun is in a narrative setting where you could take a couple of them, you know, to increase your... Your, your odds per se you could pick a couple different heroes and then if it goes off you can make a part of your story mm-hmm. you know that would be cool it'd be awesome cool when you roll those dice and make the roll and a thing blows up whatever it is you roll a 10 or an 8 or something that's great but otherwise in terms of playing in a competitive type of environment i just don't see these points being spent on this model and it is a great model it is very very cool but no not happening at least for me fair enough yeah so next up is two of my favorite units out of this book. And why don't you talk about both of them? Because they're similar. Yeah, so you have the Knight of Shrouds on foot and the Knight of Shrouds on steed. The one on foot has five wounds. The one on steed has six wounds and a 12-inch move. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both have the Sword of Stolen Hours, which is a one-inch range, five attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage two. Damage two. The one on horse obviously is a horse, so one-inch range, two attacks, fours by fours, no rend, damage one. Mm-hmm. They both have the rule Stolen Hours. At the end of the combat phase, if any enemy models were slain by attacks made with the unit's Sword of Stolen, Hero, uh, stolen Hours and that phase which is very doable mm-hmm. you've got a lot of them and they do two damage you can heal one wound allocated this unit and add one to the wounds characteristic of this unit that's under perfect circumstances your knight of shrouds can be a 15 wound <laughs> hero <laughs> it obviously takes a lot to do that but you know it, it's pretty cool i think that's neat yeah now the difference between the two they have a very similar ability but they're slightly different, is the Knight of Shrouds ha- on foot has Spectral Overseer. Mm-hmm. Once per battle round, this unit can issue the Redeploy or Unleash Hell command to a friendly Night Haunt summonable unit without a command point being spent. Okay. Cool. And in the combat phase, when you pick this unit to fight for the first time in the phase, you can pick one friendly Night Haunt summonable unit wholly within 12 inches of this unit. Has not yet fought in that phase. This unit and that Night Haunt Summonable unit can fight one after the other in the order of your choice. And that's the same for both. That one yep. is. Yep. The the second the second paragraph is the same there. But the Knight of Shrouds on Steed has the Lord of Geist ability with that same second paragraph. But first, they have once per battle round, this unit can issue the all attack command to a friendly summonable Night Haunt unit without a command point being spent. Okay. That's something you're going to use regularly. Yeah, you're getting out of the both of them five free command points effectively, where you don't have to do some of the maintenance the same. Your Knight of Shrouds on foot is 135, and on your horse is 155, yep. and that's a steal. Obviously, before it was easy to value command points at 50 points, because that's what you know battalions that's got you. Was. Now it's a little bit more nebulous, but you're getting five of them for free on each of these War Scrolls. And as we turn the page here, we're actually going to see... <laughs> in one of these other war scrolls that you you can actually take it a step further if you're really looking for that combination great combat profiles very affordable yeah some solid rules that encourage you to actually use the models probably the way that we should have been able to use them from the beginning agreed they're not incredible combat heroes but boy they're respectable yes they are absolutely i mean i would have no problem making the knight of shrouds on steed my general giving him some type of an artifact to provide some kind of benefit Mm -hmm. and the fact is you said you can 
if you do this right, you can end up getting two more wounds every battle round. Correct. Woof. Yeah. You know, but a couple it, battle rounds, ideally, you'd be up to 10 wounds. It's like, yeah, okay, great. One of the uh, things that's important to remember about the heroes is that the heroes also make Wave of Terror rolls. So the more instances where you are making that dice roll that you can apply to different units, the likelihood increases that you're going to be able to put an always strikes last on a unit and then a bunch of rend reduction or sorry, save reduction on the opponent. Okay. Which takes your very respectable rend one and can get you to under good rolling circumstances out to rend three. Mm-hmm. Seems good. Five attacks, you get it down to two by two, yeah. Yeah, take it all day long. And we haven't even gotten to that part of it yet. Quite a bit of that getting to twos by twos doesn't require a lot of command point spend. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay on this train. I'm going to steal one more from you, Dan, and then then I'll let you go. Yeah, yeah. Is that pairing that we're talking about is the Dreadblade Harrow, Mm -hmm. which is a five-wound model with a 12-inch move. It has the Dreadblade, one-inch range attack, four attacks, threes by threes, run one damage two. Again, Super respectable. Yeah. The horse, one-inch range, two attacks, fours by threes, very dangerous horse. (laughs) Angry horsey. You still have the ability to teleport. At the end of your movement phase, you can remove this unit from the battlefield and set it up again on the battlefield more than one inches from all terrain features and objectives and more than nine inches from all enemy units. And a significant change to this, Brandon, we talked about this yesterday, is that... This model could not teleport if it was within three inches of an enemy unit. It can now teleport no matter where it is. And that is very significant change. Yep. And then pairing here that I think makes this potentially very interesting is the Curse of Loyalty is once per battle round, if your general issues a command, this unit can issue the same command in the same phase without a command point being spent. If it does so, that command must be received by a friendly Night Haunt unit. Oh, Brendan, this is Night of Shrouds. Let's say we make him your general. Sure. He issues all out command, not spend a command point. He can now, the hero could issue all a command. No, So you've issued two all a commands and spent no command points. Mm-hmm. That is so good. Also, you've issued the same command twice, which breaks the rules, kind of. A little bit. It's pretty cool. Yeah, you're cloning command points. Yeah, one of the things, that's the obvious pairing, right? Where you've spent, you know, zero command points for two improvements. Mm -hmm. The flip side of this is you can have your general issue the discorporate command ability. (sighs) And for one command point, you can have two units on five up ward saves that's so good that's a very good defensive pairing and obviously the knight of shrouds doesn't have to be your general to trigger that no but i think you'd be well suited to make strong consideration for the dreadblade as a unit that you should be you know taking for efficient command point usage at 145 points yeah you can do a lot worse again another opportunity to make a good charge roll again five wounds so be careful you know, look, if they roll that 10 plus and they fight last because you charged in with the Dreadblade. Yeah, who cares? Life is good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely, man. I'll let you talk about a couple of them here. Yeah. Uh, now that I've you know pulled the curtain back <laughs> on what I think is, you know, kind of a clever combination of things that you're supposed to be taking. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to talk about the Cruelcast Cruciator. One of your favorite Yeah, I units. love this guy. And he was ever since he came out. A great model. But just the rules have been really fun for him. And he has six wounds. He has two attacks. He has a missile weapon, which is 12-inch range, four attacks, three by threes, minus two, one damage. So 
real quick here, since this is the first missile weapon that we've talked about, mm-hmm. the Frightful Touch also applies to missile weapons. Yes, any attacks at all in this army. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we have Talons and Flensing Knives. One inch range, four attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage again. His new power because it has changed Mm -hmm. for those who have used him before. If this unit is within 12 inches of any terrified units, which is very likely, given what Nighthawk can do now, subtract one from the damage inflicted to a minimum of one by each successful attack that targets a friendly Nighthawk unit wholly within 12 inches of this unit. Now, there's another faction in the game, if I recall correctly, that subtracts one from all damage incoming. Yep. Now, ours, this is conditional here this as opposed is, to, to this being a specific kind of Seraphon army. But stacking this up with the benefits from Wave of Terror, minus one to hit, minus, you know, somebody else's minus one save, you can get a minus one to wound from somebody we're going to talk mm-hmm. about in a second, and your minus one damage. Oh, man. If you position things right, you get those charges off, your army is just going to be tough to move, no matter what it is that you're talking about. Yeah. And that is really, really significant in terms of overall combat over, say, five battle rounds. Just really, really good. Yeah. So he's 150 points. He's a totem. Yeah, 18 inches again. Well worth the points and well worth considering. The next guy who I really like, and I know we have hardly ever, I mean, I can't think when I've seen him on the table. I used to use him. Yeah, you used to a long time ago, and I have it, but I am going to start using this guy for sure. He's 140 points. It's the Lord Executioner, and he's a five-wound hero again. He has decapitating great axe, and here's another great profile for a hero again. So five attacks, three by threes, minus two, two damage. Poof. And yeah, get him in there, have him start swinging. (laughs) For sure. Staring death in the face. At the start of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy unit within three inches of this unit. Subtract one from wound rolls for attacks made by that unit. There you go. That's stacking with that minus one to hit, the minus one damage. Boy, good stuff. And, you know, that's any attacks that that unit makes. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if it's attacking multiple units, whatever it is. Attacking the Lord Executioner, attacking the unit of Chainrass you charged in, Blade Geist, Grimgast, whatever. Doesn't Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yep. And he has a built-in five-up ward save. So you're not going to have to use something to kick that up on him, which is really great. Uh, Makes him more survivable. Again, you know, with all of these heroes, especially the ones with smaller amounts of wounds, it is just so helpful when we get to it, we keep referring to Spirit Hosts, that we have them to make these guys more durable. Because Mm -hmm. I think what you're going to see. I know for me, personally, you're going to see my heroes getting stuck in a lot more than they ever were. So having them be able to take the hits back when they dive in is a really big deal. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next wizard. Yeah, the Guardian of Souls, five-wound hero again. Chill Blade, one-inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage two. One cast, one unbind wizard. Nightmare Lantern, you still add one to wound rolls for attacks made with uh, melee weapons by friendly night haunt units, wholly within 12 inches. That's such a great buff. Yeah. Man. Solid. Great. Really good. Uh, spectral Lure, casting value of a six, range of 24. Pick one friendly night haunt summonable unit, wholly within range, invisible to the caster. You can heal up to D6 wounds allocated to that unit, or if no wounds are allocated, you can return a number of slain models of that unit that have a combined wounds mm-hmm. characteristic of D6 or less. A couple of things here. So the range is so exceptional, 24 mm-hmm. inches. The thing, though, is that for those who got used to using Rykonor's Condemned, the procession, yep, he's back down to D6. You know, he and he doesn't have any buffs from anything else. Yeah. Oh, uh, no. So it's D six instead of two D six. But it is what it is, and his buff is really what you take him for. Uh, 
I think what you take him for. That's my opinion. Well, is that plus one to wound? Getting the bodies back, yeah, but it's still a spell, and you still have to roll a dice, and it is d6. The plus one to wound is so rare. Yeah, he's 150 points again for, yeah. for that. Uh, next one is Spirit Torment, which has changed quite a bit. This one has five wounds, has three attacks, two-inch range, three by threes, minus two, two damage, so very respectable again in his two-inch range. His special rule is Captured Soul Energy. At the end of the combat phase, you can pick one friendly Nighthaunt summonable unit wholly within 12 inches of this unit. You can either heal up to three wounds allocated, or if no wounds are allocated, you can return the number of slain models to that unit that had combined wounds characteristic of three or less. The same unit cannot benefit from this ability more than once per turn. This is three wounds locked in. No D3. It's not conditional on killing something. It's not conditional on killing a certain type of unit. Just straight out. You don't have to do the weird calculation. No. Yeah. And it's every combat phase. So it's twice a turn. So reliably, this guy is bringing back six models per battle round. That's a lot of bodies cumulatively over the course of the game. Mm -hmm. And he's 115 points. Wow. So really, really good. This is the difficult choice for me, Brendan, between him and the Guardian. And, you know, you don't have to make the choice. You can take them both. Sure. But in terms of healing, much more reliable than the Guardian is because you're not rolling for it. You know, then you're not rolling another dice. You're rolling two sets of dice for the Guardian to get those up to three bodies back. For the Guardian, it's only in your hero phase because it's a spell. Mm-hmm. So, Which can be unbound. And, and there's, yep. yep. So there's a lot of other things. So if, if you're looking to bring back bodies, if that's the thing, then this model would probably be a more effective choice. But again, you got that plus one to wound on the other side. The other thing the Spirit Torment gives you is that it unlocks the ability of the Chain Ghasts, mm-hmm. which are... Two models, two wounds apiece, 95 points for two. And the chain gas have a 15-inch attack. Two attacks, four by threes, two rend, one damage. And then it has gas flails, which is two-inch range, two attacks, four by threes, minus two, one damage. And what you do is you add one to hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly night haunt units, wholly within 12, with this ability, while a friendly spirit torment is on the uh, battlefield. So these guys can use that basically all at attack ability with no command points being spent if there is a spirit torment anywhere on the board which is so different than before where you had to be within a certain range of the torment so you can have the torment over here you can have the chain gifts over here buffing units and shooting you know we're going to talk about some of the things that shooting can do for you here because there's in in this book or in this army there's one unit in particular that can really benefit from shooting Mm -hmm. and being supported by shooting attacks. So that's it for those two. But very good choices, relatively cheap. You end up a little bit spendy in terms of the number of wounds you have. So at 210 points, you end up with nine wounds worth Mm -hmm. of models. So Mm -hmm. we'll get into some maybe more predicament-based number of wounds per points a little bit later. But it's a good buff, but they're very removable because the chain Mm -hmm. gas are summonable, so you can't protect them with... They're not heroes. Yep, you can't protect them with spirit hosts. So, yep. anyway, last two heroes we talk about, and then we can talk some enhancements. Sure. First up is the Tomb Banshee, five-wound hero. She has the Piercing Scream, which is 12-inch range, D3 attacks, threes by threes, Ren 2, damage 1. Mm-hmm. There's no more Mortal Wound shenanigan rolling that you're doing yep. anymore, unfortunately. The Chill Dagger, one-inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, Ren 2, damage 2. 
and she has the ghostly howl. At the end of your charge phase, you can pick one enemy unit within 12 inches of this unit and roll a dice. Add one to the uh, roll if the target is terrified. Mm-hmm. On a four up, your opponent must add one to the number of command points that are spent to issue a command to your enemy unit until your next hero phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice, neat, okay. cool. And then the Cairn Wraith, which Dan, you think is garbage, and I think you're wrong. <laughs> okay, um, all right. It's all good. Five wounds. This has got a two-inch range weapon. The number of attacks is determined by the number of enemy models within three inches of this unit when the attack is made. Threes by threes, rend one, damage two. You yep. can do a lot worse. The reason I'm not high on him is just because... There are other things you can take. Yes, well, I agree. I re- agreed. Cheap. But the other piece is that you don't see a lot, at least at this point in the game, a lot of horde units that what he would get, you know, his 20 attacks or 15 nah, attacks. You, you got to think about the next General's Handbook. They've told us it's all about troops. All about hordes. There you all go. All about troops. Give well, me that. if I need to, I'll have a model to use. Field <laughs> six Cairn Wraiths and profit. <laughs> Except when you play Giants, and then I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for you, yeah. yeah. Just don't play him twice in the same tournament, or, or yeah, you're doing Three times, yeah. yeah so, okay. all right, all right. Anyways, those are the heroes, so uh, let's talk enhancements. Beautiful. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon, and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. And let's start with command traits. And you and I both agree that they kind of suck. Yeah, there's not a whole lot to choose from here. And we're each going to, as usual, listeners, we're going to pick one. If there's three choices, if there's two or six choices, we'll pick two. Sometimes we pick the same time, sometimes we don't. And if there's one or more that are, you know, of interest that we feel we need to talk about, we'll do that. So, Brendan, why don't you start with command traits and which two do you, if of the ones that are here, which would you take? I'll start with Lingering Spirit. Okay. This general has a ward of a four up for damage inflicted by mortal wounds. It gives you some protection where you don't have to necessarily have the spirit host standing next to you to get a pretty good defense. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is terrifying entity. Enemy units are terrified Mm. when they are within six inches of the general instead of three for the purposes of the aura of dread battle trait. Sure. Okay. What that one lets you do is it lets you tag, you know, units that are a little bit further away. You can talk about yours, but I'd say you might be better served looking at the General's Handbook enhancements for your leaders. Absolutely. You had talked about one where, you know, you re-roll your casting rolls. Boy, that would be really good on a Guardian, for example, Mm. if you want to get his spell off. Those things. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So the two that I picked are different this time. One is Hatred of the Living. You can re-roll hidden wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by this general that target an enemy that does not have the death keyword. There's maybe not a whole lot of heroes you're going to have they're gonna want to do that but there's some punchy little heroes here and that might be beneficial the other one is the spiteful spirit at the end of the combat phase if this general was allocated any wounds that were not negated during that phase you can roll a number of dice equal to the wounds characteristic of the general for each four up each enemy unit within six inches of this general suffers one mortal wound. That kind of goes to my thought of the fact that I'm going to probably get more of my heroes, including my general, stuck in mm-hmm. a little more since they're going to be a little more durable. You know, if I've got a six or seven wound general, heck, if I've got that knight of if you've got a sixteen wound. Yeah. It's 16 dice on a four up, and it's every unit within six inches. So I don't know. I think that one could have some use depending on how you're playing or what you're playing. I also strongly agree that I think you need to consider and look at the general's handbook to look at those. Um, How about artifacts of power? Oh, contrary to command traits, the artifacts are pretty good. So we'll start with the Relics of the Underworld, Night Haunt Heroes only, so cool. Start with Pendants of the Fell Wind. Subtract one from wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by enemy units while they're within three inches of the bearer. I'm 
hands up. I'm with you there. Yep. I agree with that. I think what you're looking at, pairing that with Spiteful Spirit, is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Agreed. You're not going to take much damage, but you're going to make any damage you take a real pain in the butt. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because it doesn't matter if you take one or a bunch, you still get to roll the number of dice equal to your wound characteristics. So mm-hmm. that's great. Okay, so next we have Weapons of the Damned. What do you think for this one? These are the ones that I'm super medium about. I guess if I have to, it's the Reaper of Sorrows. Mm-hmm. Uh, pick one yeah. of the bearer's melee weapons. Before the bearer attacks with the weapon, pick one enemy unit within one inch of the bearer and roll 2d6. If the result is higher than the target's bravery characteristic, that weapon's rend characteristic is minus three. If that uh, unit is also terrified, it's minus four instead of minus three. Okay, cool, whatever. But you're going to have to roll higher than bravery, 2d6. That's very situational in, mm-hmm. in this game right now. Yep. There are a lot of units that have seven or higher bravery. So, yeah, I that was the same one I picked because, you know, again, that rend characteristic of three or four with the number of attacks and the amount of damage our heroes are doing now. It's a really good choice. Okay, we have Infernal Treasures. I think this is where the magical artifacts, yeah. you know, maybe live, Dan. So mm-hmm. why don't you get started here? Okay, so... I think the light shard is good. Okay. Even though it's once per battle, I'm not really big on those. At the start of the combat phase, once per battle, you can say that the bearer will release the baleful gloom of the light shard. If you do so, add one to the attack characteristics of melee weapons used by friendly night hunt units, wholly within 12 inches of the bearer until the end of that phase. Holy mutt. And you could be dealing out a buku amount of attacks. And, you know, one of the things to talk about here kind of segue is this kind of reminds me of the opportunity we had in 40k we had death stars you know when you had all those special characters packed together ah what a time yeah you could delivered in a land raider wow you could definitely do something like that here you know and this would be a great artifact to take because add one to attacks characteristics for every night haunt unit wholly within 12. If you've got three or four leaders packed in and you're adding one to every single one of their attacks, boom, man, that's a lot more damage. Yep. You got a lot more coming in. So that's one of the ones I like. The other one, because of something you said earlier about wizards, you know, and finally, you really have a very finite amount of wizards here. Mm-hmm. I think the Witchlight Lantern would be worthwhile. Really? Uh, it's once per battle. This wizard can attempt to cast one additional spell that it does not know from the lore of the Underworlds. So I think when we talk about the the spell lore, there are a lot of good spells in here. I think you'd so much rather have Arcane Tome. So then you can just pick a spell that you don't know. That's nice to have that. You don't have to say it. That You don't have to have that locked in, mm. you know, as part of your army list. So if you're playing a certain army, it's going to really benefit you. Yeah. yeah, so my first one was Light Shard of the Harvest Moon as well. Really good artifact. Mm-hmm. The other one I'd take is the Soul Fire Ring. At the yeah. end of the combat phase, yeah. you can heal up to D6 wounds allocated to the bearer if any attacks made by the bearer in that phase slay an enemy model. I mean, I'm really telegraphing how much I really like the Knight of Shrouds on horse. Yes. Is really I'm all he's doing here. Sure. Pairing this, obviously, with your pick for the command trait of doing damage, or having taken damage, you do damage out. You will have done some damage if any attacks made by the bearer your five attacks, threes by threes, rend one damage to. You're probably going to remove an enemy model as long as you're in the, in the right combats. If you slay models, you pick up extra wounds, you pick up extra wounds, you can do more damage. You've really sold me on this command trait the more I think about this. So look out, everyone. I will be running a zillion Knights of Shrouds on horses. 
Okay. Right. So come the apocalypse. So here's the spell lore. We come up to this one. Yeah, very These, different than it was. Most of them are good. Most of them are good again. Okay. I'd say four out of the six I think are very good. I'll agree with that. Yeah. Which ones did you pick? Which two? So number one, Seal of Shaiish. Yeah. Casting value of a five. Very castable. Range of 12 inches. Pick one friendly night haunt unit wholly within range. Visible to caster. The unit has a ward of a five up until your next hero phase. Boom, that's a command point you don't have to spend. It's yep. two command points you don't have to spend. Yep. Maybe four command points you don't have to spend. Yeah. Right. You know, you can combo that with the Knight of Shrouds Dreadblade Harrow combination so that you mm-hmm. can be a five up ward on a lot of units. Sure. Pretty good. The next one I'd say is Shade Mist. Range of 12 inches. Mm-hmm. Casting value of a six. Pick one friendly night haunt unit wholly within range. Subtract one from wound rolls for attacks that target that unit until your next hero phase. Sure. That's very powerful. Both very yep. castable. You know, yep. the range is fine, especially since, as we just talked about, your strategy is going to be quite a bit more aggressive with everything. Sure. So my two are different. Oh, good. Interestingly enough. Soul Cage, I really yep. like. It's a spell that has a casting value of seven, so it's a little higher. A range of 12. If it's cast, pick one enemy unit within range, invisible a caster. The strike last effect applies to that unit until the end of that turn. Mm-hmm. Now, you're going, wait a minute, Dan. Isn't that something you can get in Wave of Terror? Yes, mm-hmm. but you need a 10 up. And just like getting Wave of Terror off in the last book, it's not something that happens very often. When you get it off, that's great and you're going to take advantage of it. But this is a spell that can really make the difference. As we've talked about getting your heroes stuck in, man, casting that, you know you know what your target's going to be. You throw that at it, and you're going first when you hit them, so, which is great. Here's why I don't like this spell. Okay. Casting value of a 7. That's range 12 inches Yeah. until the end of that turn. Mm-hmm. So this only gives you the benefit in the turns in which you would already be trying to do this. Sure. So. Okay. Like, if this carried through until your next hero phase, sold. Absolutely sold. Doesn't matter that it's a high casting value. Because obviously, in not your turn, you can't hand out the ability to be always strikes last. So you typically are going to need Portal to be successful with this, right, to get in position, or it's going to be a late game application. Uh, But it's also one that you can get from just regularly rolling your dice. I don't think it's a bad choice to take it, but... I think you'd be hard-pressed because I imagine your next one is Spectral Tether, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. And this is very different than it was before. Before, it was a healing spell. And now Spectral Tether is a spell with a casting value of four. Very castable. If successfully cast, remove the caster from the battlefield and set it up again on the battlefield more than nine inches from enemy units. It can't move in the following movement phase. Now, here's the thing. There's a couple comments with this one. Mm. One, Nagash could cast this now. And that's really cool because you could teleport Nagash. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> I'm telling you, Brendan, this last weekend, there were times when I wished I could have done that. Sure. <laughs> Believe me, get him out of harm's way. The other thing is both Soul Cage and this Spectral Tether are kind of in extremist things, I think, in a way. Especially the Spectral Tether, where you've got maybe a hero that's in a little bit of trouble. And you want to get them out of there to get them to heal or do whatever they're going to do. Mm-hmm. This is a great thing to do. So if you've got that Witchlight Lantern... That's where I'm thinking that you might say, oh, I didn't take Spectral Tether. I took something like Shade Mist or Seal of Shaiish. I need to get out of here. Okay, I'm going to use this once per battle deal. I don't know Spectral Tether. I'm going to get out of it. So that's where I think that might be useful for a hero that is a wizard. Sure. So Because you want to keep your wizards alive. Good spell lore. We got a couple others, but they are what they are. Yeah. All right. Pretty yeah. interesting, I'd say. Yeah, I agree. So we'll talk about like, you know, the six units or whatever versus the 11D 700 heroes. Okay. Dan, 
Where would you like to start? I think I'll start with Reapers. Okay. Because I want you to talk about Blade Guys because you're really high on those. I am. Uh, so let's talk about Grimgas Reapers. They are one wound. They have two attacks. Well, one model has the second profile. Everybody else has the other one. So they're both two-inch range. Very important. The first profile is four by threes, minus one, one damage. And then the death knell is two attacks, four by threes, minus one, D3 damage. And you do have a champion here so that you can... Issue commands to itself. Mm-hmm. Reap like corn, add one to the attacks characteristic of this unit's slasher size if there are five or more models in the target unit. To your point a little bit earlier, you know, we don't know what's coming, but we've heard stories of the fact that in this next handbook, horde units, you know, those kind of things might be more prominent in the game. And mm-hmm. so here's a good solution for that. I like these guys that two inch range gives them so much more efficiency in terms of being base to base and getting that number of attacks off that they need to get off to be worth the points. They're 160 points for 10 of them. Yeah, I just like them for that. And they're battle line. Yeah, they are battle line. They are yes. battle line. I'll do some blade guys next. Yeah, please. One wound models. Shocking, I know. They have the Great Tomb Blade, which is a one-inch range attack. Two attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage one. They are elite. They add one to their attacks characteristics in turns in which they made a charge move. Ooh, which is every turn. Yeah. (laughs) Which is going to be every turn. Yeah. They're 165, right? 175. 175. Yep. They're battle line in one of the processions that yep. make Blade Geist quite good. The advantage they have is they already have that plus one to hit built in in their profile, right? So they're already threes versus the Grim Gas Reapers, which you know you'll or need fours. to you'll which are fours. So you'll either need to spend a point or have some chain gas nearby. I don't think you'd be wrong for taking Grim Gas Reapers. I don't think you'd be wrong for taking Blade Geist. I prefer the reliability right now for the game state where you're more likely to see you know, things that aren't five or more models in the unit. And, you know, in mm-hmm. two months' time, we could be having a very different conversation. We're having the guaranteed at the extra attacks at a more reliable profile is more important. So, yeah. And we got the issue that they're one inch attacks on 32 mil bases. Mm-hmm. And that's always an issue in terms of getting of the number of models that you can, even if you honeycomb and stuff, one of the issues, because we had talked about that yesterday and kind of played it out and drew it out. The issue there is that you can get those 10 in if you honeycomb, if it's a straight line. But now if you have to start bending models around, Mm -hmm. then you start losing that number of contacts and you drop your efficiency in terms of what you can get in. So both good choices, both solid choices. Arguably, the Blade Geists are much cooler models. I think (laughs) if if you're into that part of it, get Blade Geists, if that's important to you. Sure. Why don't you, because I think you're going to present a more positive picture of these guys I have no love for the cross cross nose. Mm -hmm. Can I talk about the chain rasps? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so chain rasps have gone up to 110 points. There's still 10. Now, here's the exception to all the things in the profiles we talked about. So they are 8-inch move, they are 8 bravery, and they are 5-up save. Their Dread Warden does nothing to enhance their bravery anymore. That's He just gets an extra attack, but they do have a champion, so they can issue orders to themselves. They are 1 wound, of course. 1-inch range, 2 attacks, 4x4s, one damage. Chilling Horde, they add one to wound rolls if they made a charge move in the same turn. Okay, so they're four by threes if they made a charge, which they will normally do. Yeah, I mean, this is a unit that you've got a five up unrendable save. Let's start with that. Mm-hmm. They have a six up ward, and it's very easy to give a unit of 20 of these, which is what I'm still going to think I'm going to take a five up ward save. Really easy to do. 20 of them put somewhere on the board are going to be really hard to move. For, yeah, it's 220 points. 
Uh, but I still think there's something to do with them. I just don't think I'm going to ever be taking a bunch of them, you know, bazillion of them like I used to do because there are other choices that I think are more effective. But I still think they have a place. Sure. If nothing else, using them for speed bumps, depending on who you're playing, you know, the kind of army you have that you have to stop somebody from charging you turn one, which God, I know when I, when I played Vince Potassic's Iron Jaws, man, he had what, 18 pigs. It was like, okay, I got to do something to slow them down. And having those units of chain rest, 10 chain rest really made a difference. So yeah, that's chain rest. They changed a little bit, but Still good, and remember, they have retreat and charge, and they have other things they didn't have before. So. Yeah. So 110 points, reasonable. Talk to us about the new guys. The new unit that comes in the book is the Craven Throne Guard, uh, also called Crossbows. Standard profile for them. They have the Soul Hunter's Crossbow, which is 12-inch range, two attacks, fours by fours, rend one, damage one, and their Wicked Sidearm, one-inch range, one attack, fours by threes, no rend, damage one. Champion adds one to the attacks characteristics of their melee weapon, which seems bizarre. They have their standard bearer. One in every five can be a standard bearer. If you have a standard bearer, you can rally on a five up instead of a six. These guys are five for 115 mm-hmm. points. Yeah. They have spectral bolts, so you don't need line of sight, and units that are targeted by them don't have the benefit of cover. Okay. They're not your backbone unit, right? You're not going to build your army around them. But for 115 points, you get 10 attacks that are 4s by 4s, rend 1, damage 1. You're not going to do game-altering damage with them, but you're going to be able to put yourself in a position to do enough over the course of the game to be annoying and have to be dealt with, where you have the ability to kind of pick off the edges of screens, do a couple of wounds to heroes here and there, you know, go fishing for sixes so you don't have to worry about the two-wound roll. Right. You know, no, they're not bolt boys. No, they're not sentinels. You know, no, they're not bow snakes. Like it's the standard has become so unrealistic in terms of what you expect from your range shooting unit at 12 inch range. You know, it's a little short, but you can use the pregame put stuff in reserve move to pull them off so that you can drop them down exactly where you want them to, you know, in your movement phase to set up the different lanes for shooting attacks. Mm-hmm. You know, again, they're not the game changers that you know you're used to seeing out of some shooting units, but a lot like you, Dan, I don't think that you can wholesale ignore them because I think they have a purpose to serve. Right, I'll agree with that. Unlike this next unit, oh god, Glaive <laughs> uh, Stalkers, wow, standard profile. You get four of them for a whole. 105 points. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Four wounds for 105 points. They're one inch range, one attack, fours by threes, rend one, damage two. So they're elite. Fantastic. The musician adds one to their charge rolls while it has a drummer. And at the start of your first hero phase, if this unit's on the battlefield, you can pick one enemy unit to be its prey, which I'm sure that unit is terrified of. After this unit makes a normal move, if this unit finishes that move closer to its prey, add three to the charge rolls for this unit until your next hero phase. You'd be plus four to charge. So that's cool. The reason you'd take these is they are your throwaway unit to eat in Unleash Hell. Mm Mm-hmm. Or you could take 10 chain rats to do the same thing. Oh, yeah. Give you more wounds. Yep. Not quite as good a save, but that's okay. Nope. And Dan, we've been talking about it for so long. Yes. Tell us about Spirit Hosts. The wonderful, amazing Spirit Hosts. Except to build. Except to build, yes. <laughs> Spirit Hosts have three wounds apiece. Mm-hmm. They come in three models for 125 points. So nine and, wounds. And, and, battle and line. They are... Battle line, yep, set battle line, which is wonderful. They have 
their regular attacks, one inch range, six attacks, four by fours, one damage. So 18 attacks from these guys. You know, you're going to pull a few auto wounds if you're going to put them in combat. But drawn to war is their special rule now. Before you allocate a wound or mortal wound to a friendly night haunt hero, or instead of making a ward roll for a wound or mortal wound that would be allocated to that hero, if any friendly units with this ability are within three of that hero, you can roll a dice on a three up, that wound or mortal wound is allocated to this friendly unit with this ability instead of that hero and cannot be negated. So you're basically giving a hero a three up ward save Mm -hmm. that gets dumped in and you can dump nine wounds into this unit. Or if you're really feeling, you know, kind of, Sassy, you put a unit of six in there if you really want to do such a thing and spend those points. The point is, is that you've, and this is really the big wish list thing, you have made all your heroes so much more resilient in this army by having this as an option. Yes, you're going to have to spend the points to make your heroes much harder to kill. But I think in a lot of cases, because of the value we've talked about that a lot of the heroes have, you're going to make that investment. And if you go with grouping some heroes together, they could take the wounds for any of those heroes as Mm -hmm. long as they're within three inches. Yeah. Right? So that's good stuff. Now, just to talk about how this works again, because I think there is some confusion out there. So let's say a Linder has three of these Mm -hmm. with her. She would take, let's say six attacks are incoming. Six get through. Mm -hmm. Six wounds. So six damage worth of dice. Right. So let's say they're one wound, right, a piece. So half of those are going to go away mathematically from her four-up save. She's being forced to take saves. Right. She's going to take her regular saves. Okay. So six attacks. Right. Four-up ethereal. Right. So three of them go away. Yep. So three wounds come through. Yep. Now she can choose, she has to make a choice now, Mm -hmm. whether she's going to take those three remaining on her ward saves or whether she lets the spirit host do a three up save. Correct. That's the choice she has. Correct. And if on those three dice, she rolls no three ups, she takes the three wounds. Correct. Correct. Yeah. If she rolls them all, she takes no wounds, but the spirit host loses a model. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's the way it works. You have to make a choice, your own ward or the spirit host take the wounds. So just a great, great use for these guys now and in such a great way for this army. Cool. All right. How about these really cool, amazing Miramar Banshees? Yeah, so you get them in units of four. They're one wound apiece. They have chill daggers, one inch range, two attacks, fours by threes, rend two, damage two. They are elite. They are spell eaters. You can roll 2d6 each time an enemy wizard successfully casts a spell that is not unbound and chooses for the effect of that spell to apply to a unit wholly within 12 inches of this unit or when an endless spell finishes a move within six inches of this unit. At one of this roll, this unit has three or more models. If the roll is greater than the casting value for that spell or endless spell, that spell is unbound before it has any effect or that endless spell is dispelled. Man, it's really good, Brendan. It's really good. One of the things, listeners, we had talked about yesterday was whether or not, at least now you could, if you have two units of Banshees wholly within 12 of a unit, Mm -hmm. right now at least, you could roll twice. to see As worded, yes. As worded, yes. We're fairly confident that's going to change uh, so that somebody can't get like three attempts or something. Well, you've spent a lot of points then, but yes. Right, because they are four for 105. Mm -hmm. The other thing is their attack pro Profile's pretty respectable, man. I right, mean, so like this is the difference between them and Glaive Wraith. You're spending basically the same points for the same number of wounds, yep. but you get so much more 
out of a unit of Mirrenborn Banshees than you do a unit of Glaive Wraith Stalkers. Oh, man. Not only the spell craziness and coolness. But the combat profile is exactly the same, with the exception that you get literally double the number of attacks. And double the rend. Yeah. It's rend two. It's two. Four of these things. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a lot of attacks. That's eight attacks. And they are markedly more useful. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So now we have the Dread Scythe Heritons, which are the third kind of elite unit that's on the 32 bases, mm-hmm. 32 mil bases. They are one wounds, of course. Their side limbs are one inch range, four attacks apiece, four by fours, no rend, one damage. They have two rules, and one of them is add one to hit moon rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by this unit if it is within six inches of any enemy models that have any wounds allocated to them or if it's within six inches of any enemy models that have had any models slain in that turn. Now, here is where I think your cross booze, right, or cross nose, where they are going to come in handy to buff these guys, that would be great, mm-hmm. or your chain gas shooting could take out one model. Or it says any wounds out of kids. So if you just wound a model yep. and don't kill it, they're going to be three by threes. Yep. Four attacks. That is really respectable. Ten of these in base, that's 40 freaking attacks, Brendan. That's amazing. Yep. And you got to do the same Blade Geist shenanigans where yep. you're hunting coming at. But yep. yes. And here's um, the other thing, Brendan. 40 attacks, you're going to get six or seven auto wounds out of that. Yeah. That's pretty nice. Yeah. So this is a unit that you're really hoping to roll a lot of eights or nines because they lack yes. rends yep. totally and completely. But the volume is ideally where you're going to be able to make up you know, for what is on the surface a very average profile. Right. And they are also battle line in one of the processions we'll mm-hmm. talk about. They have one other special rule related to charge, of course. Subtract one from wound rolls for attacks made by enemy units within three inches of this unit if it made a charge move in the same turn. So pretty good. You could be if you're gonna charge, you're gonna be minus one to wound. Very, very nice. I think that, you know, based on the special rule we're going to talk about, these guys could be hunters. You know, you could take a unit of 10 or 20 of them, whatever it is, and you're going to hunt for specific units that have a ward save. If you take that procession. If, right. If you take that procession and they're going to, you know, somebody that has a high regular save and then just get rid of that ward, man, they're just going to be slashing stuff. Bye, fire slayers. Yeah. No kidding. Or, you know, Nurgle stuff. Light kings, mm-hmm. goodbye. Or... Plague Bears, goodbye. It's going to be good stuff. Yeah. Next right. up, Dan, the Black Coach. Oh, man. Okay, let's start by saying that my coach for 335 points now mm-hmm. is what it is. A little spendy. Yep. Is going to stay on the shelf. Really? It really is. And mm. I know you and I are, again, on different thoughts on this. It has a 10-inch move, and it has 12 wounds. Yep. It also has a built-in ward of five up. Pretty good. Good stuff. So far, so good. I just don't think for what it does do that it's worth those points. I truly don't. It lost so many things that were important, like bringing back whole models, like being able to get run in charge almost out the gate. It's got retreat in charge. That's good. Yeah, so does everything. Uh, But but yeah, continue. Yeah. yeah. There's some really important things, and I just don't see... I know it's got a lot of attacks, Mm -hmm. but... The damage output, when you look at this, for and I'm going to compare this to something else we're going to talk about later, which is hex rays. For 335 points, and people can make up their own minds when we talk about hex rays, I would rather take two units of five hex rays. There is no way that I wouldn't do that based on what they can do. For example, one of the rules here is impact hits for this guy. Okay, yeah, fine. that's fine. That's 1d3. I take two units of hex rays, I can get 2d3 impact hits. You know, they have the same amount of impact hits for half the damage or half the cost. They don't have as many attacks because there's a bazillion attacks here. A lot of them. So you get the chance at a lot of 
auto wounds here. I don't see that there's a lot of value in the special rule though, which is evocation of death, right? When this unit is set up for the first time, plays a D6 beside it with the one facing up. Each time an enemy model is slain or flees within three inches, 12, 12 inches. inches of this unit, increase the value of the dice besides the unit up to a maximum of six. If the value beside it is increased to five or six, the unit has a four up ward instead of a five up. You could choose if you want, and this is the nice part, uh, once per turn in your shooting phase, if the value of the dice is six, you can say that this unit will unleash its stored necromatic energy. So if you're at a five or six, you could just stay at a four up ward. You can do that if you don't want to release the energy. Mm -hmm. um, if you do so, uh, release the energy, pick one enemy unit within 12, roll a die on a two up, the enemy unit suffers 3d3 mortals. Then you change the value back to one. Sure. Okay. It's just so situational to me, Brendan. You've got to make sure that this thing is going to be in a place. Now, it can teleport, which is awesome. <laughs> but you've got to make sure it's going to be in a place where that is going to happen in order to make this thing a viable of the profile. The other part I have a, an issue with with the teleportation here is, and let's compare it to the Hex Race, for example. This thing comes on a monster base. It's mm -hmm. like a an Imperial Knight base, right? You're going to have a hard time for a good opponent getting this thing in a backfield or somewhere else and fitting that thing in. Because most of your opponents know you've got it. They know what it is. They're going to kind of block it out. It's a lot harder to block out cavalry base than it is this base. Why don't you talk about your thoughts? Yes. So I think you're looking at the problem wrong. Okay. We'll talk about the profile here real quick. You have to pick between the Soul Reach Grasp or the Reaper Scythe. So the Soul Reach Grasp, if you do it, you get a missile weapon, 12-inch range, D3 attacks, 4s by 3s, Ren 2, damage 2, mm -hmm. and a melee profile of a 3-inch range, 1 attack, 4s by 3s, Ren 2, damage 2. The Scythe is 1-inch range, 4 attacks, 3s by 3s, Ren 2, damage 2. And then between the both of them, uh, you get the Spectral Claws. One inch range, nine attacks, fours by fours, rend one, damage one. Mm -hmm. And the hooves and teeth, one inch range, eight attacks, fours by fours, no rend, damage one. Fine. Totally reasonable. It's some combat profiles. Mm -hmm. That's not what you're using this for. You are using this to get to that four up ward. You are going to use this to attack the flanks. And you're going to use this as an immovable object. So it's a totem, but it's not a monster. So there's no benefit in losing it, which is perfect. Yeah, it only counts as two models for scoring, but you use it to attack a screen. You use it to attack a unit that has high mortal wound output that the rest of your army necessarily doesn't want to get into. Because this is going to be very difficult to move. Your 12 wounds with your four up save cool because you're a night haunt ghosty boy mm -hmm. you know so that's 24 saves that you have to right, make to even right. to even consider that right but you need to fail 24 ward saves in order to kill this thing which means that you have to make 48 one damage saves against this unit are you talking about if you've got the four up ward on which top? you are going to take yeah doing the 3d3 it occurs on a two up and it's 3d3 you are so much better served by having this be an immovable object. It's not an unstoppable force. It's an immovable object. Okay. You use it as an anchor point, and then once its useful life has ended, you know, over here on the flank, annoying your opponent to death, or it's died having tied up your opponent doing something that it doesn't want to mm -hmm. for a protracted period of time, sure. then you teleport and move on to the next So thing. what you're saying is you want to put it in a position where it can hit a unit, for example, mm -hmm. and kill... Five models. Five models. That's it. Because that's what you need to do, right? Mm -hmm. And kill four models, right? No, you need to kill five. Because you got to go from one to five. It, oh yeah, sure. Yes, so you got to kill four. You to, kill four models, 
And then you go and do whatever you want because you're going to be four up, four up for the rest of the game. Correct. If you choose to be. Yes. As you say this, you know, I always try to relate it back to a game I've played and something that would have been helpful. For example, I had an opponent that had two sharks running around that I really couldn't do anything about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just move this thing over and charge into those sharks. And what are they going to do to it? Do something. They're going to do nothing. Go ahead. But I locked two sharks in. And they're now immovable, which is pretty cool. And you have the added benefit of being able to retreat and charge. So if your opponent ties you up with something that you don't want to be there with, who cares? Move 10 (laughs) inches away and charge something else. Yeah, sure. You lose the ability to heal it with any sort of like regular frequency. Yeah. But, you know, that's kind of the price you pay with this. Yeah, could it be fewer points? Sure. It doesn't serve the same role that it used to. And I think that's Mm -hmm. going to be the biggest adjustment. Sure. Okay. Fair enough. Why did you talk about these Coolio guys? Yeah, so hex rates are pretty good. 12-inch move, two wounds, cavalry units, spectral scythe, one-inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage one, and the hooves and teeth, one-inch range, two attacks, fours by fours, no rend, damage one. Okay. Champion gets one to their spectral scythe. They have phantasmal advance. Oh, that's so at the start of your movement phase, you can say this unit will perform a phantasmal advance. If you do so, double this unit's move characteristics until the end of that phase, but this unit cannot charge in that same turn. Okay, fine. Yeah. Neat. Cool. And then Spectral Hunters, after this unit makes a charge move, you can pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll a dice. On a two-up, they take D3 mortal wounds. Impact hits, yeah. Yep. Their battle line, so that's neat. They are also imminently affordable at 160 points. 60 points for 10 wounds, yeah. Mm-hmm. Same as Grimgast Reapers. Yeah. I just like them because they can move really fast, and they're kind of like the coach, I guess, from the perspective. They're not as durable, obviously, but they can move to a lot of places that opponents won't want them to move. And the other part of this is that it's going to be much tougher to block out your backfield when you've only got cavalry bases to get in there instead of something that's huge. Mm-hmm. You know, So I think it'll be a lot easier to get into a backfield and position yourself for an annoying charge or an annoying objective grab or something else. And throw in the fact that you can spend a command point, they're going to move 30 inches. There's almost nowhere on the board they can't get in one turn. Yeah. Almost. Uh, so I think they're going to have a purpose. I think it would be worth having at least one of these units around as an opportunistic piece for whatever you want to use it for. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah. I think you can use them to send forward and pin your opponent in and then let the army come up behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Get them in there. You perhaps have a Knight of Shrouds on Ethereal Steed and a Dreadblade Harrow. Turn two units of Hex Rays into Phantasmal Advance. You issue, you know, your run command ability and then you use it for free off of the Harrow and You've got 10 hex rays that are just three inches from your opponent's deployment line, and you go, good luck. <laughs> yeah, have fun mm. with this. There you go. All right, and the spell time. One of these is really good. Yeah, it's still really good. Two of them, not so much. So I will start with the Shaiish Reaper. Casting value of a six, range of six. It's 70 points. Yeah. Predatory, this endless spell is a predatory spell. You can move it up to eight inches, and it can fly. Before moving this endless spell, you can pivot so that it's facing in any direction. Pivot is free and does not count towards the distance this endless spell moves. When you move this endless spell, it must move in a straight line in the direction of the tip of the blade is pointing. Soul Reaper, after this endless spell is moved, roll two dice for each unit that's passed across, including models it moved over when it pivoted. And each other unit that is within one inches of it at the end of its move, add one to the roll if that unit is terrified. For each roll that is equal or greater than the unit's save characteristic, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Mm. Yep. Okay. That's it. That's the spell. Uh, no. Dan, you want to talk about the good one? <laughs> yes! Terminex is still good. Mm. Now, the other still part quite good. about the Reaper is the range. I mean, effectively, it's 
14 inches. To start. Uh, yeah. It's and the, but then it keeps moving. Yeah. We have the Mortalis Terminexus. It's 85 points. A little more on the high end here. Buying. Uh, uh, yeah. It's casting value is only a 6. It has a range of 12 now, which is a little shorter, but still 12. It is predatory, so it can move 8 inches. So right now you're at... So it's really 20. 20 inches, right? Mm-hmm. And that's before you take into account the area of effect. After the spell is moved... The player that has moved it can decide whether it's going to reverse or hasten time. If they choose to reverse time, heal D3 wounds allocated to each unit within six inches. If friend choose, or foe. Friend or foe. If they choose to hasten time, roll a dice for each unit within six on a two-up. That unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. I'm thinking about Friend that, or foe. Well, first of all, yeah. I've used this many times to put out... So really, the... The effective range is 26 inches mm-hmm. when you think about it. To take out small heroes, it's great for doing that. Or chipping models off of like a unit of like Reavers. I think I took like four or five models off of a Reaver unit. Nice. It's like, wow, I just have their ability to shoot at me. You know, that was really good. The other piece of this though is if you think about putting a bunch of heroes together and doing like a mini little Death Star, as it were, put this thing in the middle of the unit and just heal your heroes. Boom. Yeah. Every hero phase, you could just heal your heroes. <laughs> really nice. You know, so use it both ways. Don't just use it to blow things up. Use it to keep your heroes alive even longer than they're already going to be with their beard host buddies in there. Yeah. All right. Then you got the Vault of Souls. So the grenade, yeah. Yeah, the grenade. Casting value of a six and range of six. It is predatory. It moves eight inches. After this endless spell is moved, roll a dice for each model within six inches of it. Add one to the roll if that unit is terrified. On a six up, that model's unit suffers one mortal wound. Keep track of the number of mortal wounds caused by this endless spell. If the total is ten or more at the end of any phase, roll a dice for each unit within six inches of this endless spell. Add one to the roll if the unit is terrified. On a two up, that unit suffers a number of mortal wounds equal to the roll. Then this endless spell is dispelled. Okay. Okay. How many points is it, Dan? 85. Yeah, that seems like a lot. Compared to Terminexus, yeah. yeah, that seems like a lot. And you know what? It says on a two-up that unit suffers the number of mortal wounds equal. You could roll a two. Mm-hmm. You could roll a three, and you spent eighty-five points for that. Okay, and you've got to get ten or more uh, damage that it's done. It's so, like you can end up throwing a lot of dice on five-ups. Mm-hmm. You know, out of it at horde units. So, I mean, that that's fine. You know, it's enemy models within six. So mm-hmm. yeah. okay, you know, you can throw it at a bunch of different units. So that's fine. Then you get to a ten. And you roll a dice for each of the units. And then at most there, you're doing seven damage mm-hmm. to, you know, which isn't bad. No, seven mortals is respectable. But there's a lot of conditions to get you to that point. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just now. Uh, you got to be playing a horde army. You got to roll a lot of five ups. You got to hope that your opponents group close together. And then ideally, you know, in its last turn, you've moved the vault to a place where <coughs> if you do roll high, you can do a lot of damage to the core structure of the opponent's army. Correct. Yeah. All right, Brendan, let's move on to our strategies and tactics, man. Okay. We're on page 76 here. What do you think of these strategies? Mm-hmm. I'm kind of meh. Yeah. In the middle. We'll start with the first one, Assault the Claim, after deployment, but before the first battle round begins, the enemy unit with the highest wounds characteristic is marked as the target. More than one unit has the highest wounds characteristic, you can choose which of these units to be the target. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if the target was destroyed by attacks made by a friendly summonable unit. Why? Exactly. All right. And the next one's Fright or Flight. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there are no enemy units within six inches of any friendly night haunt units that are contesting an objective. Okay. Yeah, sure. You can, If that's your goal, then you can go for that. 
Feet on Terror, when the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if one or more enemy units on the battlefield are terrified. You cannot complete this grand strategy if all of the units of your opponent army have been destroyed. <laughs> so don't table your opponent. Yeah, keep one unit alive. <laughs> Why are you running away from me? I'm the only unit left on the table. Don't run away from me. I need to keep you here. <laughs> God. <laughs> Yeah. All right, sure. Then dismantle the brave after deployment, but before the first battle round begins. The enemy unit with the highest bravery characteristic is marked as the target. If more than one unit has the highest bravery, you can choose. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if the target has been slain and the model chosen to be your general has not been slain. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's a reasonable one. Yeah. I can see that. Tactics. There's some decent ones. There are some good ones in here, which is what you're looking for. First up, Overwhelmed with Dread. You reveal this battle tactic. Pick one enemy unit on the battlefield. You complete this tactic if that unit is affected by the Shriek, Stun, and Petrify effects of the Wave of Terror battle trait during this turn. That one's kind of tough, right? Because you have to roll three of them. One has to be at least a 10. One has to be at least an 8. So two have to be at least an 8. Yeah. And all three of them have to be at least a 4. And you have to do this before you roll the dice. Correct. So that's really iffy. That's... Tides of Terror, you complete this tactic if at least two friendly night haunt units are within half an inch of the same enemy unit at the end of the turn. Oh, yeah. Easy. I mean, you're just going to look and see. You say that, Dan. You say it's really easy because it's just a half inch. So your opponent can remove models to be. That's true. Yes, yes, yes. Details, details. Yeah. Darn it. Okay. I feel stronger about the next one, though. Mass Panic. You complete this tactic at the end of this turn if three or more enemy units on the battlefield are terrified. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's doable. Much, much more doable. Yes. Imminently more doable. <laughs> Death by a thousand cuts. You complete, uh, this one's yours. Yeah. You complete this if an enemy hero or monster is destroyed by attacks made by friendly chain rats or spirit hosts during this turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Just, just mob them with those 20 chain rats, man. Get him, get him out of there. Yeah, get him going. Yeah, right. One stop, no return. This is um, yours. You like yeah. You like the coach. We got one for you, too. When you reveal this battle <laughs> tactic, pick one objective marker on the battlefield that your opponent controls. You complete this battle tactic if you control that objective at the end of this turn. And there's a friendly black coach within three inches of that objective. That's doable. Extremely that, doable. Very much, yeah. Just got to have a black coach. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah, so the last one is Ceaseless Nightmares. You complete this tactic if two or more terrified units fail a battle shock test during this turn. Piece of cake. Yeah. Shouldn't be tough at all. Especially since you can't inspiring presence. Yes. Yeah. That makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. If you know you're going to tear a couple units up, then you... So lukewarm on grand strategies and... And okay. And, on B, and a solid B yeah. on battle tactics. Yeah, there's definitely you want to, I think, include some of these battle tactics in your bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. I think so. So we got one last thing to talk about before we you know, give our overall thoughts, and that is the rules for the processions. Yeah. The, you know, yeah. What forms kind of the variations between the different armies and, mm-hmm. and drives how you build. Sure. Okay. I am going to start with, Dan, the Emerald Host. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I love that one. After armies have been set up, but before the first battle round begins, you can pick up to D3 plus one different (laughs) enemy units on the battlefield. At the end of each battle round, roll a dice for each unit you picked. On a two plus, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. If that unit is a monster, it suffers D3 plus one mortal wounds instead of D3. Can you say Terminexus? (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Brendan, that is just so awesome. Again, you combine that with Terminexus, which is going to be doing D3 mortals twice about a round. Yep. That's essentially 3D. It's still a two up, right? Yeah, you know, but it's still it's a two up here. Essentially 3D3 mortals. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. 3D3 every battle round. Yeah, you're going to be it's picking up some stuff. You don't pick up any battle line units for taking the Emerald Host, but that's a solid rule. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you could pick off some shooting units that have 10 models or something like that. That mm-hmm. would be pretty easy in a couple of battle rounds to take one of them out or at least reduce them to the point where they're not going to be effective. Sure. I agree. Very nice. I'm going to talk about Quicksilver Dead real quick. Okay. I want to let you talk about Scarlet Doom because you love your blade, guys. I do. So this one is the Dreadscythe Herodin procession. Ward rolls cannot be made for wounds caused by attacks made with melee weapons by friendly Quicksilver Dead Dreadside Herodin units. I was talking earlier when we talked about them. You know, again, you could turn these into hunting units if you've got an army that's got a lot of ward saves. Very situational, obviously, because you're making this unit battle line. I mean, this is good for some night hunt on night hunt violence. It would be great. Yep. Get rid of that. Or if you're fighting Nurgle, for example, it's mm-hmm. got a whole army with Fire wars. Slayers. Fire Slayers would be a great place to target this. And just, you know, MSU a bunch of 10 model units of Herodans, man, and just go after stuff. Yeah. It would be pretty sweet. Pretty sweet, man. All right. Scarlet Doom, you pick up Blade Guy, says Battle Line. You have the Vortex of Frenzied Violence. <laughs> After a friendly Scarlet Doom, Blade Guy's Revenant unit makes a charge move. You can pick one enemy unit within one inch of that unit. If you do so, roll a number of dice equal to the number of models from the charging unit. For each five up, the target unit suffers one mortal wound. <laughs> now, I know we're normally not, you were talking about MSU and taking mm-hmm. units of 10, but you take a unit of 20, Blade Guys. And the thing that's cool about this, Brendan, is so many rules are if you're within one inch or you're within three inch after the charge. This is the number of models in the unit. Yeah. That 20 dice on a five up, I mean, you're doing six or seven mortals before you even roll for combat. Yeah, you dump it into a hero that's nearby. Woof, <laughs> man, that is just so cool. Yeah. I love that. But again, you know, you're going to have to gonna go in with, with Blade Guys. Mm-hmm. You have to make that choice. you got to commit hard to that one. Yep. Same like Quicksilver Dead, you got to commit hard yep. to Herodans. Yep. And then the last one, the Grieving Legion. This is dragged into the grave. Enemy units cannot retreat while they're within three inches of any friendly Grieving Legion unit with ten or more models. Gets rid of a lot of people's retreat and charge. <laughs> <laughs> well, not a lot of people have retreat and charge. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? So, so also good anti night haunt uh, <laughs> technology. Yeah, it might happen. There could be a lot of night haunt. I think armies on the boards. Here's a question though: You have a special rule for your Sylvaneth, by the way. Yep. Where you can withdraw, mm-hmm. but that's not a retreat move. No. So that wouldn't affect this. Correct. Okay, this wouldn't affect it at all because that this is during the movement phase that you're retreating. So you can only walk the spirit paths with a normal move. You can't walk the spirit paths unless you are eligible to make a normal move, unless you are tree lords, true at ancients or Durthu, and then you can walk the spirit paths because it's okay. it doesn't have that same criteria. Okay. Two months or whatever it's going to be All right, for cool. you three Sylvaneth players that listen. Until they get the new book. So Dan, closing thoughts on the book. It's just wonderful. Yeah? It's just wonderful to feel like I can go to a game and be competitive, that I have the tools I need now there are a lot of units in this book that are good. I didn't take Blake Geist for a long time because they just... They lived on this weird fringe. Yeah, they were weird. They were in a weird place. Too many points. You know, they didn't quite do enough. Herodans were the same way. You know, and really, even Reapers. And now I don't have to say that anymore. I can say any of those units I take are going to be good for me. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have all those choices and to be able to build an army that I think is going to be, again, as I think back of who I played before, I'm going to be able to do so many different things that I couldn't do before to that army. I played Deepkin twice, and man, I, I could do a lot better job next time. Yeah, I would hope so. With the tools I have now. So what do you think, Brendan? This is going to be quite a competitive selection. Again, one of my favorite things about the 3.0 books is right on early reading, you don't identify maybe necessarily like the list 
I can feel the structure you know, for a number of these kinds of lists that come together and you can build them around lots of different units. You can take Chainrass, you can take Bladegeist, you can take Grim Gas Reapers, you can mm-hmm. take Herodons, you know, you can take Hex Wraiths. You know, we talked about maybe two or three units we really didn't like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of at all. I think the structure of the list is going to be a zillion, million, billion drops, mm. you know, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. Y- like, don't worry about rushing to battle regiment because your army's not going to fit. No, uh, no. <laughs> Just count on having a lot of drops, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or you go double battle regiment, but I don't know. I think double warlord is something worth looking at. There's quite a few enhancements that mm. we found to, you know, on reading to be quite good. Mm-hmm. The heroes are relatively inexpensive, you know, you'll pair them with some spirit hosts for sure. But you know, I don't know. You could easily have a bunch of minimum size units that you're throwing around the board. Again, the point of caution is if you are not a fast player, think about the number of models you're going to be playing with because you're not going to finish your games and it's going to be your fault. Mm-hmm. I think that's something some players need to be aware of because I know as a tournament organizer, if I saw that you brought Night Haunt and your game didn't finish and your opponent says that you didn't play in a timely manner, yeah, chances are you're going to get the slow play warning. And, you know, like I'm not going to be super interested in what the details of the game were. Mm-hmm. You were touching your models three times in your turn, and they weren't. Especially if as I'm walking around, I'm seeing like kind of weird trying to finagle between different units stuff. Like that eats up a lot of time. This is a book where you got to know exactly what you're doing all the time while you're doing it. Otherwise, you're going to get in trouble with the clock. Okay. Because there's really not an elite version of this army that you can build. And like an elite version of this army would be spending a lot of time and energy on hex wraiths or, you know, your blade guys or your heritons. And even then, you know, you're still going to have, you know, close to 100 models on the table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. I'm really excited to see what people put together for this. I'm really excited to see what this shows up on the table with. I know for me, I have to make it part of my consideration for ATC prep because I think there are some really capable lists that are in this book. We'll get some games in between now and then for sure. You'll have to play something that's not Night Haunt or I'll have to give you the Night Haunt list and and I say, I just need to see how this goes, right? I'm going to be doing this over here. Here's the list I need you to play. That's fine. Either way. Uh, We'll have models for it for sure. I know you will. (laughs) The only thing I won't have is Karen Race or Tomb Banshees. Oh, don't worry. I got plenty of those. Oh, yeah, of course. All right, man. Well, thanks. This has been exciting. So freaking exciting to have this book on our hands and and be able to talk about it and now go play it. I'm just so excited. All right, buddy. Okay. Let's move on to... Scriptorium. Scriptorium. (laughs) God, I'm so excited. I forgot what I was going to talk about. I forgot what the show is. (laughs) All right. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, man. Scriptorium time. We have a fair amount of new releases in terms of books. I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming out. We have a book called Gloomspite, which is a story about a town or kind of a fortress town that's being attacked by, oh my God, Gits. Imagine mm. that. Mm. So they're trying to survive mm. and it's the moon is rising and a whole bit. We have a really cool book called Covens of Blood, which I believe is three stories all about Daughters of Cain. So if you are a Daughters Army person, you might be interested in reading that. Sounds pretty cool. I think they're all brand new stories. There is a book called St. Catherine. So if you are a Sisters of Battle fan or just a fan of the sisters, if you don't have an army, looks like a great book. Huron Blackheart is getting his own book, which is very, very cool because he's one of those he's a neat character. tragic figures who turns just 
bloodthirsty evil. But the way he got there in the beginning was, once again, betrayed by the Imperium kind of a thing. So his story is very cool. And, and yeah, he is very, he's a, you know, 40k pirate. And then the last one we got is Vincula Insurgency, which is a new Gaunt's ghost story. Not as big as a lot of them are. I saw the audio was only six hours versus like 11 or 12. But this is a book in the time frame of right after the ghosts were formed as a regiment. This is one of their earliest battles that they fought. So it sounds fun. It's written by Dan Abnett, of course. And yeah, I can't not get it. <laughs> and I can't not read it or listen to it. So those are all new things that have come out. Uh, how about you for your stuff? Reads, listens, all those things. So chipping away at all the same things I've been listening to. But I recently watched a Formula One race that was on oh, cool. ABC. My Twitter account is basically hobby stuff and college football and Milwaukee Bucks. And like all the people that I follow for college football stuff this last fall, like everyone was talking about Formula One. And I was like, I don't know what happened. Kind of weird. So I was like, okay, well, this is on at a normal time. Mm-hmm. I'll watch the race. Don't really know anything about it other than, you know, you know, cars go fast, right? And I left it and I was like, I don't know that I understood hardly any of this, right? I understood, you know, who the winner was. But so Netflix has a series called Drive to Survive where they follow all these teams, you know, for a racing season. They had four seasons of it. And I know that last season ended in highly controversial fashion, very exciting. So this morning I finished watching all four seasons, roughly 32 hours of it. I started this on Monday. I do nothing in half measures. (laughs) Uh, no, that's that's true. I, I don't know that I know more about Formula One, but I know that it can be very dramatic when poised in the correct way. Okay. I would have, in watching that series, liked to have learned more about, like, strategy and, like, things that make the cars better than each other. For an engineer, that would have been an interesting... Right. So, you know, like, obviously... Drivers make a big difference, but you know, not all cars are created equal in that sport. I don't know, like this team was having a bad season and they said their car is not good. Why is their car not good? What about their car made it bad? And they didn't talk about that. Not at all. Oh, okay. So that was very frustrating to me. Like it was really entertaining. I'll like I will give them that credit. Like it was great television watching. Did you ever see the movie Ford versus Ferrari? No. I would suggest if you have an interest in this at least, mm-hmm. I think you would really enjoy that movie. Well, it's on HBO, I believe. Yeah, so, so yeah, take a listen to that yeah. if, you're, if you're into this right now. It's cool. I don't know that I'm going to go out of my way to watch a bunch of oh, yeah. F1 races because they're <laughs> on it insane hours of the night sure. for the most part. But Coolio, that's neat to have a new interest. It's cool. Yeah, that's fun. What about you, Dan? I'm working hard on my Slammers book. I'm up to page 400, so I only have 100 pages to go. Okay. And then I realized that I have volumes one and three. I don't have volume two, so I've got to go seek that out now so that I can read through the whole three anthologies that they have. I thought I had it around, but I don't. Interestingly enough, Cindy has started reading Pariah, which was that first Elizabeth Beckwin book. She picked it up. I'm like, what are you reading? And like all of a sudden she's on page 100 and go, oh, well, she's into it. So mm. that's kind of fun to see her reading a 40K book like that. Now, that trip down to Springfield was a long trip, yeah. as, you, as you well know. I finished listening I to was. the following audiobooks. I finished Titanicus. I finished Sigismund. And I finished Burden of Loyalty. I listened to all those books oh, wow. trip. And I started Karn. It's like all that stuff going on. So the Sigismund book, I've talked about Titanicus and Burden of Loyalty, which is a a heresy kind of anthology. But the Sigismund book is an origin story for him. And it's just so interesting because one of the best things about it 
is that you meet so many characters you know. Like he meets Karn and he meets Sejanus, which is a really important character in the first heresy book in you know Horus Rising. And he meets all these other characters. So you get this totally different perspective on these characters, you have an idea of who they are. Because they meet peer-to-peer as opposed yeah. to through the perspective of either, you know, Primarchs. Yeah, yeah. Or and so it's it's really a fascinating and very good story. Really, really good. And then I'm reading or listening to Karn, and it's not what I think people would expect. Because again, this is not an origin story for Karn, but they're on board a you know World Eaters battle cruiser, and you're meeting like normal crew, and you're going, well, I never thought about like normal people who are on a World Eaters ship because I thought they'd probably all be dead. Right? Sure, but no, and so you get a feeling about the culture of the no- of the regular humans who are part of the World Eaters Legion, and it's really a cool perspective to hear how these people talk and what they do and how they interact with each other. Really, really cool stuff. And then obviously Karn is one of my favorite chaos characters besides Argyll Tal. So that's been really cool. I've continued listening to Darknet Diaries, which has been really fun. And the other thing I finished listening to or watching was something on YouTube. It's on Epic History TV. And it was a six-part series about the uh, Byzantine general Bill Sarius. And really, really fascinating. It's just all like in 6th century mm-hmm. AD. The emperor was Justinian. You know, he was probably one of the f- most famous Byzantine emperors. I learned a lot because they used a lot of source materials. There were a lot of quotes that they read from Belisarius and other people. And it was just a wonderful summary of his career. How he started, how he finished, how successful he was, why he was successful. The other characters that were around him. Competition he had with other generals, things like that. So very, very good. But it was Epic History TV was where the series... And it was only, I think, about half an hour for each episode. So it wasn't that long. Three or four hour listen. Cool. And then the big news, Brendan is that season three of Love, Death, and Robots mm. is here. Listeners, if you haven't watched any of it, you really should start with season one, with the episode one, they call it. And it's usually like six to eight stories. And in this one, the first one was humorous. It's the three robots who are just, they're so funny. And then the next one was horrific. And then the third story, I think there's <laughs> okay. eight in this one. And then the third one was just like weird. Okay. It was just bizarre. It was like you, you know, like smoke mushrooms or something or eating mushrooms. You're looking going, what are they thinking in this story? So you have to have a very open mind when you watch Love, Death, and Robots. But the animation styles and everything else are so good and so interesting that I definitely recommend it. I think a lot of people would enjoy it. That's it for me. All right, man. It's a few things. A few things. And we're moving on to this or that. Okay, what's it going to be, brother? I'll start. No! No, you want to start? No, no, go. You sure? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. All right, right, Dan, what's your heresy legion? Okay. Out of the 18. I have two. Okay. You got to pick one. Ah, man. Scars. Scars? Because of reading Scars and reading Path to Heaven. Okay. And then, if I wasn't enough of a fan... When Warhawk came out of the siege and I saw Jagatai and the White Scars again, it was just like, yeah, these guys are amazing. One of the reasons I like them is because they're so independent and they've maintained their independence through the heresy, through the 40k time frame. They're imperial, 
but they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, they listen to the emperor, but they kind of do their own thing as well. It's just like with Jagatai and Rogaldorn. He was like, yeah, I get what you're trying to do here, but I got another plan and I'm just going to do, do my plan. That's really cool. I also love the Scars because they're one of the loyalist legions that fought through internal rebellion and they made it out the other end. Uh, and I love that because a lot of the loyalist legions didn't have to deal with that, mm-hmm. but they did. Very, very, very personally. So, yeah. Okay. Scars. You're playing Night Haunt. You have to take one of these two units. Are you taking Glaive Wraith Stalkers or a Scriptor Mortis? <laughs> That's so horrible. Oh, God, Reddy. You, ha- you have to take one of these two units. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to take the Scriptor Mortis. Okay. Just because I can't stand the Stalkers. And the model is so cool for the Scriptor Mortis. So that's why I'd take it if I had to take one of them and spend the points. Hope that I roll low. Fair enough. (laughs) It should be an easier one for you. Uh, Which of the four processions are you taking? My first choice would be Emerald Host. Okay. And my second choice would probably be Blade Geist. Really? Scarlet Doom. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm kind of torn between that one and and the Quicksilver. I don't think I'd ever take... Grieving Doom, isn't it? Grieving Legion. Grieving yeah. Legion. I don't think I'd ever take that, but definitely I think uh, Emerald Host is the most fun. Okay. Yeah. They just start seeing people pull models off the board. Like, what? Yeah. If you were to take a team to ATC, what four books would you bring? And remember, it's one per Grand Alliance. Oh, man. So, Night Haunt for death. Okay. For sure. I think for Chaos, I would take Bellicorce Legion. The Legion of the First Prince? Legion of the First Prince. Okay. For destruction, and this is like to win, mm-hmm. I think destruction, I would take, I don't know, I think I'd take a Kragnos Giant list. Okay. And, oh man. I still Order's think. very tough. Again, to win, I think I'd take a Seraphon army. Okay. I think so, yeah. Those would be my choices. Okay. My last question. So in watching Drive to Survive, okay. you know, learn that there's really like the top three teams that you care about. You've got Mercedes. Ferrari and Red Bull. Now, obviously, you can't drive Red Bull. That's an energy drink. <laughs> so if you had to pick between a Mercedes, a Ferrari, or a McLaren, which of those three cars would you want to drive, Dan? Oh, that's an interesting choice. I mean, you can drive a Red Bull can if you want. but Yeah, I, yeah you're not going to get very far. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting choice. McLaren. I think. I think so. You like the orange yeah. ones, huh? Yeah. I just don't like Ferrari. And I especially don't like Ferrari after the movie. Mm. <laughs> and Mercedes is like, I don't know. I've never been impressed. by Even when Mercedes-Benz was a, a big thing. The cars always looked like blocky or something to me. They never looked like cars I'd want. So yeah, I'd take a McLaren if I had to choose. Okay. All right. Those are my five. All right. Okay, cool. With all the goings on in the NBA, Brendan. Yep. Who is going to make it to the finals? Which two teams and who is going to win? The Warriors are going to make it and they're going to be playing the Miami Heat Mm. and the Warriors are going to win it. Okay. Easy question for you. Chain gas or cross nose? Chain gas. Cross booze, whatever. Yeah, chain gas. Okay. You own a home? I do. If you had to choose. Oh boy. Because of the climate, would you rather have to mow or have to snow blow? Well, I mean, we have to do both. Right, here. but I'm talking about being in a, and let's say you're in a really cold climate where mm. there's a lot of snow all the time, or you're in a really warm climate where you have to mow all the time. Which would you rather have to do? I prefer my snow shoveling. I really don't like mowing the lawn to the point that, you know, I pay people to do that okay. for me currently. Okay. All right. They're very unreliable and very inconsistent, but boy, I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, sure. You can take one of these two 
heroes in Nylon. Okay. Are you taking a Linder? Are you taking Kurdos? Ooh, that is a good question. Probably in a general statement, I'm more likely to take Lady O. She is a reasonably good support piece. You know, force multiplier, those kinds of things. Yeah. Kurdos is obviously a beat stick. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. So you're going to take Lady O. Yep. You're going to have lunch today. We are going to have lunch today. And your choices on the menu are a grilled cheese sandwich or a grilled ham and cheese sandwich. Not a big fan of ham, so probably just the grilled cheese sandwich. Straight up grilled cheese. Yeah. Okay. Not a big ham guy, which is, you know, weird because where we're talking about going to lunch, I really like their Cuban, so. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right, that's it. That's it. All right. So we're done, brother. Cool. Okay, let's move on to show closiness. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Uh, Sunday announcements. Do we have anything? All 40K stuff. Okay. Skip. Okay. Knights. No heresy, nothing. Just skip. All knights. Yep. All 40K okay. stuff. Skip. Perfect. Skip. Skip. And next two episodes, we pretty much know what we're doing. We're locked in. Yep. We're going to do Vault Wars, mm-hmm. our big two-day tournament review, which will be very exciting. Lots of great games. Lots of great stuff going on. And then two weeks after that is Daughters. Yeah. So June, we are locked in for an event and Daughters. Mm-hmm. And then episode 100. Yes. And we're going to have to start thinking about that. Listeners, certainly, if you have any thoughts or ideas, send them to, at Twitter, you can reach Brendan at hobby underscore bear. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to email, I know it's it's Dan, he's not the Twitter guy. Please email me at cubicshenanigans at gmail. Dan also know. accepts notification in the form of smoke signals and carrier <laughs> pigeons. <laughs> Okay. All right, man. So, yeah, let us know if you have some ideas. We'd appreciate that. We may certainly go with the question and answer. That was really fun last time. But it's coming up. Gosh, Brendan, it's hard to believe. Just a month or so away, we're going to be at at episode 100. What a journey it's been. Speaking of that, I just want to thank everybody because our um, number of listeners we've had is slowly but surely increased and progressed. And we really, really appreciate the fact that you folks come and listen to us. And like we say sometimes, we just don't understand why, but we really love the fact that you're with us and hanging out and that you you know enjoy what we talk about and how we talk about it. So thank you all for being part of the show. As always, Brendan, thank you for being here and sharing your thoughts, big guy. Appreciate it. And listeners, for you, you take care and stay safe, and we will see you next time around. Bye. This is the end.